Hello and welcome to episode 177 of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host, Aaron, and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy, James. Hello there. And James, Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year to you, sir. You know, it's a new year, it's a brand new time. COVID, you know, that's done for, probably. Hopefully. Then definitely. Uh, you know, it's time to branch out, mate. It's time to be a new person. It's time to change the course of humanity and history. To 2022's your year. Obviously, hashtag is my, it's everyone's year. Why not? You know, let's take the last two years, mate, throw them in a hole, throw that hole in the pit, never think of them again. But we'll keep some of the good movies from the last two yeah, years. Yeah, obviously, yeah. But get rid of a lot of the bad stuff. Yes, and and that feeling when you woke up, you know, oh, it's 2021. <laughs> get rid of it, it's gone. It's 2022, mate. It's a good time, isn't it? That Them first few days of the month where you're full of energy and full of hope. Yeah, and every time you write down the date, you put 2021 because you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it never changes. But this this podcast is all about looking forward. Change, growth, mm. evolution. And that's what we're going to spe- celebrate this week in this podcast. So each week we get around and Max talk about a different movie topic or theme. And we've done over 170 odd episodes on all different topics for you to go back and explore. So if you like this podcast, don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe and get a new episode each and every week. And like I say, we'll do everything, anything. <laughs> this <laughs> We'll do anything. And, and we have. <laughs> and this week is no exception. We are looking this week uh, alongside the films that we've watched. So we'll review many, many great films this week. Um, but we'll also be looking at careers that have took a drastic turn. Actors that have woken up one day and said, no more of this mediocre rom-com bullshit. Mm. I'm not going to win the Oscar by keep doing these kind of rubbish films. Getting my shirt off and falling in love with Sarah Michelle Gellar or Parker. Parker, or, yeah. I, did, I never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like most people, I never watched it. We, we straight away both went with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, because he's good. the biggest one. He's the biggest example, yeah. But we are going to look at some careers that have just took an absolute turn, um, you know, for the better. But also to balance things out because, you know, we don't want to peak too soon in 2022 and mm. come out of the gates too too positive. Let's look at a career of an individual who uh, hasn't really deviated much from the path. And that is, of course, Jason Statham. Yeah, but is that necessarily a bad thing? Don't worry, we'll get deep into mm. it in our investigation. <laughs> new year, new me, same Statham. That is what's on the show. But we also have... Some uh, new movies to talk about as well. We've got the Adam McKay movie or Adam McKay, which I heard in an interview this week. Oh. So I've probably been pronouncing that wrong. I definitely um, have been pronouncing it wrong. Um, don't look up. We're also going to look at the Mads Mikkelsen uh, Danish drama, Another Round. And we are also going to talk about Matrix. Yes. Matrix. Matrix Resurrection. Resurrection. That's Matrix it. 4. Matrix still happening. Yeah. Still Matrix thing. Still Matrix in. So we're going to look at those as well, on top of any other movie uh, and TV series that we have. <sighs> and we've watching. got a lot. Because I know got... you've been watching Cobra Kai, James. Oh, I have been watching Cobra Maybe I've got a little bit about Cobra Kai. But also, mate, I've fallen in a hole, a deep, dark hole of documentaries. I don't know what it is, mate, but I said this in November. Maybe November's the time to pick a subject that you're not that clued upon and give it a go. Maybe November's the time where you take a risk, take mm. a chance. Call it Casino Month. We'll turn it into a thing. Just gamble on something. And I'm I gambling at the moment between documentaries and musicals. And do you know what documentaries, mate, got me? They got yeah. Netflix. We talk about the Netflix right here. Cobra Kai, fantastic. You know, mm. do you remember the Daredevil series and the, the Marvel series that they had? They were all great. You know, uh, Ozark, I know a lot of people love that. But dude, they do some great documentaries on that. You just mm. got to go out and find them. And they're not that difficult. You go to the documentary, documentary section, section. And that's usually where they are. Yeah, it's, it's in there with all the murdering, uh, yeah. true true crime. Well, I always like to pick. A, I always like to pick. When I'm going for this, you started me on this. So my, I like to read a documentary or look at a documentary about a topic I do not know. And you told me in your youth, mate, because you're getting old now. I know. You told me to watch the Cove. It's oh, like, yeah. it, would, it, would, it would change the way you think about the shipping industry. The fishing uh, industry. The fishing industry. Well, I, I'm, I don't really eat fish, but when I remember seeing that, and uh, what a horrible film. Just it, it, I love. 
the fact that they made you answer questions that you were uncomfortable. Mm. You know, and they're, they're, the want, the need to show a reality that we're all blind to. We know that happens. And we know it happens in other countries as well, but we choose to ignore it and we choose to eat the fish or that delicacy. And it, it was a great, it was a great mirror to hold up to the world. I love a documentary about something I don't know about. Absolutely. Like free fall that I watched a few years ago with Sam. That was great. I thought the guy was quite a narcissist, but I imagine you have to be quite a narcissist to climb a mountain without any you know, structural guides to stop you from falling to your death. Yeah. I love, I love, I love connecting with worlds I don't know. One of my favourite documentaries is The Flat Earth because I'm not interested in their theories, but I'm interested in, in why, why that kind of theory attracts this certain people. I love fascinating worlds and you can never discover it in an hour and a half, but then I always I do a bit of research and I love that part. After I watch a film or a documentary or a TV series, it makes me think, I love the research phase. So I'll go, is that true? If, if, if a TV series says based on true story, I'll go, ooh, bit of research on a true story. I love something when it does that. A documentary mate will hook me. Documentaries do get the hooks in you very quickly. Yeah. Even like um, mini films or, or TV, you know, if you, you only got to look at the Attenborough series, you know, oh, which are visually stunning documentary series like Ross Kemp on gangs, you know, there's all sorts that just pull you in. And that's, you- that's, a, that's such a weird sense because, because Ross Kemp famous for playing a hard man on EastEnders, which let's be honest, he's, he's bold. It's like this, he's, that's not, you know, reason for him to be hard. But then when you see him with the Russian gang and they set him on fire as initiation, you think, well, actually to what? Give the man props. That is pretty bold. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember watching one where he's in Papua New Guinea and, and uh, this dude turns a gun on him and he's like, you're going to shoot me? You're going to shoot me on camera? And you're like, fuck, go for him, Ross. Like, go for it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, Ross Kemp, for doubting you. you we should have done it on Ross Kemp instead of Jason Statham. We should have done it. But yeah, documentaries have that that ability to just get their hooks in very, very quickly and then take you on a ride. And you're right, when it's a subject matter that you know nothing about, mm. Um, it, all the more enjoyable and um, yeah I, I, I do like watching a documentary every now and it's, it's, it's dirty this time of year though for me it's all like wrapping up you know so at the moment I've just watched yeah. like Death to 2021 which is like a mocky documentary mockumentary yeah um, Netflix do I think they did it Death to 2020 yes no I do recall because I know a friend who watched it didn't realise it was a comedy yeah isn't it in, I'm sure it's got some sort of link to Charlie uh, Brooker, Charlie Brooker. It's, it's, well he does the because he used to do it. he hasn't done one for a while uh, like an end of year Newswipe is what he's called. They were hilarious, but it's got mm. Philomena Kunk, which is one of his characters. I know for a fact she does a talking head in it. Yeah, I no, love Philomena no, Kunk. So she is in Death to 2020 yeah. and Death to 2021. So, yeah, so I imagine it's the same production team that are behind it. Um, um, that said, though, their famous, the best creation is a bold bloke called Barry Ship. <laughs> Sorry. You're going deep. I am going deep. Go deep. If no one's heard, watched it, they'll have no idea. But, um, I know you've been watching Cobra Kai. I think you've been watching The Witcher as well, then. I've watched them all, mate, completely them. I, I, I saw The Witcher. I think. I think I might have lied to her. So I think I watched it on my own and then watched it with Esther like at the weekend when she was off. I was like, oh, this is all new to me. Now I've seen it. I, I've watched one episode of it. Oh, is two. That, is I've that seen it? two. It's two. It's not grabbed you. Uh, no, got but the first season didn't. Well, I've got to admit, I thought the second season was so far. It's so much better. They even take the mockery of the, you know, the this uh, staggered timelines. That's even a joke in it. I'll tell you what Witcher 2 has got me. It had me. It, it, it took me to dinner, mate, mm. and seduced me. And I woke up in the morning, it was smoking a cigarette, and it, had, it was done to me. It left. I, 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 the, but I think the Disney shows have kind of tailored me into going back to taking my time with series. Maybe I think some of the Disney shows, like Hawkeye, now obviously uh, Book of uh, Fett, you know, and, mm. Is that good? Yeah, the one episode's dropped. I really enjoyed it. Um, it, it. I think it's kind of making me pace them again because I, mm. I was I, I enjoyed the first episode of Witcher, but didn't go straight into episode two. I was like, I'll watch one next week or oh, a few okay. days, and then we picked up episode two. So I'm not rushing through it like I would probably used to. You see, you know what? When it comes to Witcher, when I know there's more series coming. That's fine. 
But so my one of my favorite TV series just missed out my top five. The Expanse is in its final series on Amazon. It only had two episodes when it launched, mm. so it didn't have the, the standard three, and it come out every Thursday. But because it's the final series, I like the fact it's taking me longer to watch them. It's like, oh, because I know that that last week between episodes nine and 10 or 11 and 12, I can't remember mm. how many is it, I will be waiting, mate. I'll be begging. I'll be scratching out that laptop. <laughs> Please, Amazon, give it to me. If you're on your knees. I will. Suckling at the teeth of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I really, I'm quite enjoying taking my time. But then again, actually, when you think about it, well, last year, last week, sorry, we've had Christmas, New Year's, I've had my kid's first birthday. Yeah, it's been busy week, hasn't it? It was weird as well, actually. So I think I'd never, ever say in my life again, but... I do remember on my kid's birthday, breaking away for 20 minutes to write notes on Jason Statham. Which yeah, hopefully that'll never happen again. <laughs> made me feel dirty. Um, but Cobra Kai enjoying it? I, I've, I've, I'm way behind with this. Mate, I'm on season two. Gorged it, watched it all. But the problem is the episodes are half an hour long, so it's that perfect one more. There's only 10 episodes, so essentially you're only nearly five hours. I've had a lot of time on my hands lately. Those five hours, mate, went in about five hours. I watched them, <laughs> watched them straight after each other. One break, loved it, brilliant. And I've got to admit, they, the characters they introduced in the fourth season are amazing. Now, I did say this on the Twitter the other day, but no one responded, but I did post it like three in the morning. So, um, is I do think they need to start wrapping up. Mm. I hate TV series that out, outstay their welcome. I think because Cobra Kai's got short episodes, it sticks around longer. I would class it as fun. Um, I thought the, do you know what, I've got a little bit. I'm going to just read it. If you watched that, you've season two. Yeah, I think I'm, yeah, and I was enjoying it. But again, I think it was, I was in that time where there was just so much out that yeah. I was just bitting and bobbing between different shows. So uh, Cobra Kai is back and it continues with, and it continues to be the best thing on the small screen at the current time. Because I haven't seen Boba Fett. The, Boba Fett. the karate teens are back with yet more drama for us to feast on. And William Zabka and Ralph Macchio continue their brilliant back and forth and are finally working together to take down Cobra Kai and Sensei Kreese who now has backup in the form of Thomas Ian Griffith, the villain from the third one. I was going to say, dude in third film, yeah. Um, it remains exciting and most importantly fun. The episodes are snappy and thankfully there isn't a cry fight every other scene like the previous series. Like that series three, there was so much karate. There was too much cry. It was like, it was like someone emote. <laughs> someone have a feeling. Um, but some of the main characters do have reduced screen time, but that isn't a bad thing because I do fear overexposure to some characters would make them annoying. Great additions to the cast. And bearing in mind that these cast members haven't actually done anything for 50 years or so, their acting is far beyond what you would expect. Mm. They haven't done anything. It's amazing. The series explores what it means to be an 80s villain in the present day. I'm just going to say, when you're introduced to uh, Griffith, he's now a vegan and Kreese meets him and Kreese has remained the same villain throughout the 80s so he's like four years later he just takes the piss out of him he's brilliant um, it's an amazing TV show that I only that I hope only continues for two more seasons that's very specific don't fade away go out in an explosion the eagle fang way and that makes sense to you once you've seen two three <laughs> so, so um, I, it's brilliant I, mm. I, I think it was better than Witcher series 2 it was my favourite thing wow. I was like a giddy do you know what I didn't even realise it was coming out mate I turned on Netflix it was like a new series I was like text Remy it's like it's out <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I, it's got a, such a strong community, hasn't it? And it's a success story in pop culture. You know, yeah. It started on YouTube, made its way to be one of the biggest shows that everyone's talking it's about. Brilliant. I love that. Cobra Kai, mate, hook me. I will watch them. I'll make that as a resolution then, James, but I will catch up by ahead, ahead of the next season if there is one. Yeah. Is it leaving a cliffhanger? Yes. I'll Game oh, of Thrones it. very good cliffhanger. I'll Game of Thrones it. I'll just wait till we're on the final season then I'll fucking catch Smash up. Smash it Um... Cool. All right. Uh, let's get on with some... How do you want to play this? Do you want to do Statham? Do you want to do our main bit around New Year, New Me? Do you want to talk about a movie? How do you want to play it? Do you want to do some movies first? Then we'll do New Year, New Me. Then we'll do Statham. We can end up with some movies because Matrix is obviously a big film that's quite, so we should leave that to the end. Do you want to do Don't Lock Up? Let's, 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, I, you've got a bit of a synopsis, I, I think you said, so I'll just s- set it up with just a very little bit. In the Don't Look Up has just come out on Netflix. I think it came out on, on Boxing Day on Christmas Eve. It was very close to Christmas here in the UK. It's directed by Adam McKay or Adam McKay. Again, I just saw, I saw an interview where someone introduced him as McKay and I was like, shit, I've been saying McKay for a long time. So I'm was. still probably going to say McKay. In terms of ensemble cast, this is pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, he goes all out. Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Mel Streep, Kate Blanchett, Rob Morgan, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Tyler Perry, Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande, and Michael Chiglis. Yep. When I saw Chiglis's name pop up, I was like, no. And his role in it, although small, small, he's perfectly <laughs> cast though. He yeah, he nails that. Like Ron Perlman does in this. I mean, they both nail their very small, but important roles. I fucking love Ron Perlman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you're a Adam McKay fan? Love him. I think he's genuinely one of my favourite directors in a minute. Every love time, him. Love him. Every time he comes out with a story, I know it's going to be something I agree with. And I like the fact that he doesn't care that half his audience are usually going to get offended what he's going to bring out. Obviously, Vice, big Republican figure in Cheney. Didn't mind like whittling him out. I know a lot of the critics were 50-50 on it. I loved Vice. He took what he learned with The Big Short, which is probably the best film he's ever made, and a great film. And basically applied it to this and then when you get to this film and he's not afraid to basically go no this is what's wrong you're an idiot mm. and I just think it takes balls I just think that takes general he, he goes for his own audience I really like that really respect that but it's such a British thing to do that's what us Brits would do we go ah sorry you're wrong I'm going to make a film about it <laughs> it is somewhat refreshing isn't it it's very that, refreshing that it's not subtle and it is it's probably the most direct out of um, oh, most yes. of the movies I've seen but certainly of his, his catalogue um, I'm going to let you show the film and then we'll break it down into kind of some key points but um, I'll let you give us a synopsis then. So a PhD candidate for an astronomy class discovers a comet heading to the planet which will wipe out all life within six months. Despite having proven this to be a fact, um, they are denied and ignored by the president, Jane uh, Janie Orlin, a former actress and a chief of staff son, Jason, who got the role due to nepotism. Ooh, who could it possibly be? Mm. The candidate, Kate, and a professor, Randall, go to TV to whistleblow but Kate's hysterics turn her into an internet meme which is friggin' hilarious I'd like to point out um, while Randall becomes an internet darling because of his soft uh, he, he comes across as quite controlled and not a panicky um, months later the president is involved in a sex scandal and investigates the comment to remove the focus away from her own scandal and put the pressure on something else what happens next is a middle finger to basically Trump COVID flat earthers fans of reality TV Trump sexism uh, bias in the media nepotism uh, Trump unnecessary military involvement mainstream news climate designers Trump conspiracy theorists and pretty much everything that McKay doesn't like about western civilization, including uh, President Donald Trump in a nutshell yeah basically he fucking he, mate get a scythe start swinging because you're giving it I love the fact and this scares the bejesus out of me this film is so relevant today there's a new Omicron variant now we've got people in the streets marching I don't want to wear a mask I don't want to save other people's lives in this you've got people who refuse to look up to the sky to prove that a comet is about to hit the planet and what's more terrifying this was written about two and a half years ago and still relevant now to when the flicking film's being I was written say, it definitely feels like it was written more with a kind of climate change deniers yes. um, kind of narrative and but somehow it's just fallen perfectly <laughs> into a pandemic narrative um, you're right about people that are so against the science and in this case it's the political party that you mentioned Meryl Streep as the president and Jonah Hill as, as her, her chief of staff just don't want to hear it <laughs> and want to put a spin on it so it suits their political agenda yeah um, I I, I, re- I to be honest I did really like it one of the things I like most about this movie is that it's paced really well it gets better towards the end mm. it kind of finds its gears and keeps progressing and it's rare you see that normally in a movie the third act does drop the baton a little bit because it has to start wrapping everything up 
And this one, I actually really liked all the way through where it goes. And it kind of goes off its own storyline and settles onto a new one. And it, then that one resolves. And you find that the characters by the end of the movie are exactly where they probably should be based mm. on who they are. And, you know, so I, I, I did really, really like it. And in true McKay style and fashion, there are straight-laced characters and there are caricatures in this yes. film. Mark Rylance is a caricature in this movie. He's five rolled into one. He's he, Elon Musk, Jobs, Gates. He's all of them. Yeah, he's Bezos. He's <laughs> yes. bloody uh, Branston. The, the problem is, is he comes across as an android too well. I was, I was like, Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> is, is it? They actually get him. Yeah. They just superimpose Mark Rylance's face on him. But Mark, you know, Adam McKay's work, not, afraid, not afraid, sorry, to break the fourth wall and, you know, look at a movie like Vice. You know, it's it's... And it, it, I suppose he does that in this one by giving you characters that are not necessarily believable. Jonah Hill, for example, is so over the top. It's so over the top, you know, but funny and just a real breakout. You know, the theme of this episode is New Year, New Me, you know, and actors that certainly seem to be this one. Yeah, certainly mm. seems to be on a on a such an interesting career path and trajectory. Uh, Jonah Hill was one of them, certainly pulling away from the Seth Rogans and the James Francos and moving more into the likes of the Leonardo DiCaprio's yeah. and Quentin Tarantino's and Mark McKay's, Adam McKay, so and Mel Street, for God's sake, you know, it's a, it, it was a real, really interesting watch. I, I liked it. I don't, I, I loved it. That's the difference. I was genuinely thinking, you know, we come to the end of the year, I, I, I this would maybe be on my list. I'm probably the funniest thing. I, I can't think of a film I laughed more at and really enjoyed. Mm. Possibly pushing. I, I do think Sandman was a better film, but then you could argue, was that, you know, it's that argument again, you know, we live in Britain, so that's why. However, I think Don't Look Up is fantastic for the for the punches it pulls. He, he goes for it, and I love that. I don't know, though, if, like, when Vice came out, it was very divisive. Vice was, but, but like, the big short wasn't, but Vice was, but people didn't like the filming mechanisms, because I believe I got into an argument on the internet, which is a stupid place, they should have just blown it up. But what I love about this film is that it's reality. And what I mean by that is, they get told the, the sky's falling, but the next segment is about uh, the celebrity couple being broken up, and that's what people remember. And they've turned Jennifer Lawrence into a meme. The thing is, I've seen that. We've, mm. we've all seen it. That happens when you get told something. Um, and they get treated as like uh, doomsdayers, but they've got scientific proof, but you can ignore it because that's not what Billy on the street thinks. Basically, like COVID or climate change. Well, how do people still deny climate change? There's mm. irrefutable science, but I don't believe in it. But this is a brilliant, you know, takedown of a lot of people. And, but also at the same time, really scary and worrying that that's the world we live in. It does, it does feel, doesn't it? It has that shocking narrative about it of um, people that are, that, that take um, gospel, what political figures say and, mm. and how that can affect and almost create kind of like well, mass, ma- mass hysteria, stupidity. But, but the best thing is right at the end is like, it's like the idea of like, they say the scientists look up in the sky. To me, it's brilliant. It's like, all you have to do is literally tilt your head. Yeah, so see the it. comet has broke through the atmosphere. It's their look. But, but, it's like, but the message is just look at the floor. And then one of them just like, you like to because all he does is look up. It's just absolutely brilliant. <laughs> It is good. It is. I, I did really enjoy it. And the ensemble cast is fun to watch. It's fun to see the different... It's always one of the best things about ensemble cast is that you get different actors sharing screens with different characters. And this is no exception. I think the combination of Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio works so well. Jonah Hill and Mel Street work so well. Timothy Chalamet works so well with Jennifer Lawrence. There's just great chemistry with a lot of it. Rob Morgan works well with everyone in this movie. Um Rob it, Morgan, mate. He's, it, he's fucking fast becoming up there, mate. He's, yeah. he's showing his acting chops now. There are two post-credit scenes in this film that you that you do definitely want to check out. Um, <laughs> it was hilarious. I actually like them both. They're brilliant. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're talking New Year, New Me. And again, this goes to the Adam McKay as well. You think to his early filmography, 
Anchorman are hit. I like the other guys. I, I found telling tell tell the nights enjoyable. But certainly, I mean, I, I command two. We'll we'll bush over that. We can't win them. Everyone's got a death note. Everyone's got a death note. But um, certainly seems to be on a different trajectory now. Peering, uh, sorry, parting ways. Sorry, from Will Farrell. When you when you look at that though, you always thought Farrell was going to be the one to move on. You know, but he's he's he gave you Sherlock and Holmes right. Never forget. Holmes and Watson. Get it right, James. <laughs> Hashtag least, never forget. At least we never forget. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I I enjoyed it. I, again, I don't think it was my favourite of the last three movies, but um, certainly enjoyed it. I love the pacing of it. Bit longer than I would have liked it, but I. I you know what? I I I imagine what we saw as an audience was exactly what yeah McKay wanted people to see, and I think he's perfectly fine that people don't like it because he does take aim at like. If you think in America alone, it does not to, not all of them. You can't every task on Wonderbush, but it does take like a launching pad at quite quite a few million <laughs> for believing what they believe. Yeah, Chigless, no. I think it comes across really well. I, it, to me, it's between him and Ron Perlman because when Ron Perlman, mate, was straight, when he well, first when he shows up mm. and he, Ron Perlman is like, is Ron Perlman even acting? Because <laughs> because he's so Ron Perlman right yeah. now. And Chiglis is only in two scenes, but he's like, as the Fox News reporter, but yeah. not the primetime Fox News reporter, the kind of shouty, um, almo- yeah, yeah, almost like media, uh, what's it, like social media news broadcaster. Uh, I think it just comes across really, really well. The, the whole thing's great. I, yeah, I did I did enjoy it. I think it will be as divisive as Vice was, though. Yeah, probably. But I think there'll be people that agree with the message and the tone of the movie, but just disagree with the film styling. And yeah. I know the end has ruffled some feathers. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Good movie. That's Don't Look Up. It, it sent me on an Adam McKay scan. I rewatched The Big Short, which has just come back to Netflix. And it's, it's already number 10, which I always find really weird when a film comes back. It's like, it's obviously shows that people want to watch it. Uh, and then a documentary about the... Wall Street crash, which I watched on, which, which, which I, do, I but, follow spirals, mate. That's where I go. But then that, that, you know, when Squid Games was number one on Netflix, then all of a sudden two or three Korean yeah. dramas and series I, were in the top 10. I really which like is that. great. I really like that Hell one. I thought it was good. Because Hellbound, yeah. Hellbound, because it takes chances. Like, I don't think, I don't think Western TV really, they don't give like a, an upcoming vision. Like, have a couple million. Tell me a story I've never seen before. Whereas Korean TV, especially, well, obviously South Korean, <laughs> um, they just like, well, let's take a shot. If it works, it works. And they, mm. Do you know what? It works. There's another one, the the Silent Sea. I want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, I I like that it was on Netflix as well. I yes. liked watching this at home. We just crowned our 2020. I think James has already said our 2020 winner uh, movies so- was Mitchell's versus the Machines, and then The Sound of Metal, mm. which you could argue came out in 2020 um, on our last show. But yeah, I think if Don't Look Up was, if we'd seen it before, we did that episode. We probably would have talked about it oh, in I more depth than that one. Yeah. I don't think it would have topped for me Sound of Metal. No, it's true, but I would have definitely liked to talk about it because I love a film that captures me. Mm. And that film captured me. Will you watch it again? Yes. Another test of if it's yeah. a good movie. Yeah, probably, but it's not those films that I need to see straight away. It's not like, you know, mm. Cobra Kai, which I'm probably going to like binge before I start work. Yeah. <laughs> good see DiCaprio as well in there, actually. Throw his weight in. And a good DiCaprio. The mm. scene where he gives an impassioned speech, I imagine he had no script. They're like, you just speak you, because uh, you've always, you were, you were talking about he's big on the environment and that sort of thing. And the speech he gives could be applied to that. Well, he did a two-part National uh, National Geographic documentary called Before the Floods. Yeah. And that was really good. So I just think there's a scene which is probably my favourite mm. scene is when he basically, I like what you called the wake up sheeple Mm. and he's fantastic but not only is that fantastic it's like how the world reacts as well he's just phenomenal but there is in that before the flood so DiCaprio does all this like going around the world and talking to scientists um, you know and, and talking to like um, con- uh, conservation specialists and you know goes to like the Antarctic and North Pole and all these places to see the ice caps melting um, you know and, and they're looking at this like 
beacon and he's like, oh, this was originally like hundreds fucking meters underground and now it is at sea level because Jesus. that's how much is melting. So he's got all this like evidence and then it cuts away to scenes of news reporters that are like, and this Hollywood actor thinks he's a specialist, you know, and like, what does he know? You know, like completely debunking everything that he's saying. And yeah, that's a really interesting documentary actually. At the top of the show, you talked about documentaries, which is why I'm bringing it back. What's this called? Before the Floods. Before the Floods, there's something I give a watch to. Um, it was while I was shooting The Revenant as well because they had to pick up all of the filming in that to go down to Argentina because the snow melted and they needed to do Jesus. the final scenes. So, yeah. That's, that's fucking disgraceful. That's, I think that's a lot of what sparked that documentary from being made. Fucking hell. Um, Sorry, excuse my language. That was one of the things I was going to try to work on this year. Just, just quick to break it. I'm going to try and swear less. Oh. Trying to make this PG. That's not going to happen. No, not at all. Um, right, don't look up. That was our first movie. We are 25 minutes in. We've still got Stafe. We've still got New Year, New Me and we've still got a couple of movies to talk about. Do you want to um, go into New Year, New Me? Because we're on that as we are talking. We're talking about Adam McKay, Jonah Hill being two examples already of people that have had certain career paths and then all of a sudden took a gamble or took a change or woke up or go for gone it. for the Oscar. And all of a sudden their their careers have changed for the better. And Matthew McConaughey's The Shining, The Holy Grail, I think, for that. We know promising careers can be troubled from one wrong performance or a film not breaking the box office or just in general, when an audience takes against a character, you look at actors like Elizabeth Berkeley and showgirls, big upcoming star from say by the bell showgirls does not hit the ground running. No, goodbye. Elizabeth Berkeley. <laughs> like genuinely, like, I'm sure she went back. Do you know when they relaunched it like two years ago? I'm oh, sure yeah. she's back in she it. Cobra Kai did. <laughs> um, Freddie Prince Jr. Goodbye after Scooby-Doo. Uh, Chris Klein after Rollerball, uh, you know, I mean, I'm was, actually, you've actually already mentioned two that are on my list. Yeah, Josh Harnett in, well, whatever. <laughs> Topher Grace after Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Hayden Christensen after Star Wars. Alicia Silverstone after Batman and Robin. Uh, for some, it is over and out. Others claw their way back. Halle Berry, uh, Jennifer Lopez, uh, some examples of those mm. that have probably gone on to do some bad movies that could be career enders. Yes, I'm looking at uh, Gigi and I'm looking at um, Catwoman, but then come back to almost Oscar-worthy performances, or in Halle Berry's case, Oscar-worthy performances. Mm. Uh, but what about those that turn in less convincing performances only to wake up and think, I'm going to go for it? Um, at the helm of this, yes, is Matthew McConaughey following Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, also, Jared Leto could be in that camp as well. Yeah. I always think Jared Leto always brings... He's a weird one because the films that he does, I think he scouts them out and it's like, I could do something interesting because Jared Leto doesn't give bad performances. He gives very unique performances. Now, they're not always what you'd expect, i.e. the Joker. Think of like Flight Club, very small part, but memorable. Mm. Look at Dallas Buyers Club. Like he knew he could do something with that role. So I don't know if I, was Un, he ever bad? Undeniably, yeah. But uh, Mul Mulholland Drive where he plays like heroin addict made me really never want to try heroin. Well, urban <laughs> so. Legends, which to the point where I was that convinced he wasn't in that movie. I thought it was an urban legend. That, <laughs> but he's in that movie. Is he in that movie? Yeah. Fuck you, I'm going to Google he's that. He's in that movie. He's on the poster. Is he? Yeah. Urban Legend. The one that's like, like the one that's definitely Scream, but not Scream. Yeah, the one with Robert England in it, who you're like, hold on, that guy was like one of the most iconic characters in horror ever. He must be the killer. But he wasn't. Fuck you, Jared Lowe, isn't it? He yeah. Paul Gardner. Jesus Christ. So, uh, Tara reads in it. Can't win them all. Can't win them all. <laughs> Sorry. But mate. also, I mean, then uh, Matthew McConaughey going on to things like the Lincoln Lawyer. I mean, he had also done Time to Kill. Well, he's, he's a weird one because he started off great and then basically found it easier. He didn't have to act as much if he got his shirt off <laughs> and seduced middle aged women. You know, he was fine. He didn't have to work that hard. And he's done the rounds at the moment promoting his uh, book, Green Lights, where he goes on to say that he was turning down $10 million. Um, uh, offers for rom-coms because he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I, if I hold st uh, fast, 
the films will come in and after a year of getting no work, all of a sudden he started doing, and you know, films like Mud and like, as I say, yeah. Lloyd, he started working with, you know, real, real kind of accredited actors and directors. And now look at them. One of the most fascinating um, actors and someone who puts people in cinemas. I will go watch a McConaughey movie. Um, so would I. Being in it. Yeah. And, you know, knowing, knowing that you're going to get a decent vintage as well. Yeah. He, he, you know, if it was a few years ago, piss right off. <laughs> yeah. We're not always going to get rain of fire every time, are we? <laughs> not, not, for, not for lucky. Um, so we're going to go just back and forth. A couple of names of people that you think have gone the right way. I have, just so you know, I've, I've picked a person who has passed on, but it's my biggest one because I think, you know, they did. Okay. So should I start with that one? Go with that one. So I genuinely think if you look at a career, a lot of easy popcorn films never really tried hard. But then they did a film in 2005, which I think broke a lot of, lot of t- uh, a lot of types that this actor was cast in. You could also argue that Jake Gyllenhaal was also changed the acting. I'm talking about Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, famously like 10 Things I Hate About You, Nice Tale, which I don't know why people like. However, 2005, mate, he showed you he could fucking act. And then he did, you know, The Dark Knight Rises, phenomenal. I just imagine, when I was thinking of this list, imagine how great he'd be right now. We, he mm. would be the A-lister because yeah. he just turned it. He was like, he Matthew McConaughey, before Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> he fucking started it, mate. It just obviously tragically, tragically passed. But I always like to think that he had the best turnaround in Brobeck Mountain. A film I had no expectations of, mate, it was fucking phenomenal. Mm. No? Do you think? No, no, I agree. I agree. I think um, he's legend. I mean, I liked him. Uh, what's it? Ten things I hate about you. I oh, know I like it, but I at quite. the same time, he's not. That was know, for me. Was that was a coming an age movie for me? Yeah, when I was it was. But no, no, no. He was young. You weren't expecting great things. But it was like mm. the Knight's Tale, and then like the Patriot. Let's be honest, the Patriot. He's not great in. That's Don't a you movie. Fucking I, say it. That's a movie I, I've never revisited. But I saw Jason Isaacs on a put a picture up on Twitter the other day where he's on a plane. Yeah, and the person across the aisle from him is watching The Patriot and he's took a photo of him going, I wonder if he knows that obviously the, the villain is right next to him. Um, and it made the me think, The guy yeah. turned off after 30 minutes. It's like, like, just like that. It's weird, yeah. It's weird. I, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. And that mm. is a big biopic. It is. It's also shit. Do you like it? I can't remember enough about just, it. To, just, to me, it's Braveheart, but this time William Moss has got some kids. <laughs> literally, oh, and there's gunpowder. There you go. Sorted. Oh, and it's a different country. But other than that, it's mm. exactly the same story. Yeah. Also, Mel Gibson's Australian, not American. Sure. Well, he wasn't Scottish neither, but didn't stop him from that. Any opportunity to kill the British? <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gibson will take it. Or, or people of different religious faiths. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go with a big one, mm. a big A-lister. Some would say he's probably the biggest A-lister at the moment. Certainly his paycheck is one of the biggest. Mm. Mr. Robert Downey Jr. <gasps> Good shout. From what? Air America, US Marshals, The Gingerbread Man, uh, Danger Zone, Bowfinger, Ali McBeal, Gothica, The Shaggy Dog. These are all movies that the man was coming up to. Now, I will say he did do Chaplin in 92. Yeah. So there was a rose Every- amongst the fawns. Everyone's got a reverse, that's not. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, Zodiac, Charlie Bartlett, and then Iron Man. Yeah, that's 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 a very good shout. Very, and I'll go on to be very consistent as well. Very lovable actor that everyone's drawn to. Saved his career. Saved his life. Saved probably. his life, yeah. yeah. And you've got to think as well, uh, we just mentioned the man, but Mel Gibson also uh, paid for Danny Jr.'s bond to get him out of uh, jail to That's do nice. the movie The Singing Detective, didn't he? Yeah. Or was it, it Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? It was one of those. I'd like to point out, no, Singing Detective, because I'm sure Mel Gibson directed that, but Kiss Kiss no, Bang Bang. No, no, he's a psychiatrist in that. He plays Dr. Gibbons. In oh, it. okay. I, I knew he was a fan right, of But um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a fantastic film. That was with, the one with um, Balcombe, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That's a big one. I'm going to go... There was a time in your life, mate, where 
I thought they, to be honest, this actor never really played the main character. I thought they were more of a comedy actor. Not really that great. But then there was a film that you and I went to the cinema to see. They were um, commercially successful. I had three comedy films that were pretty good. Apparently, I never really liked them. But in 2014, got together with everyone's favourite Clint Eastwood and they gave us American Sniper. Talk oh, about Bradley Cooper. He's mate. on my list as yeah, well, Bradley yeah. Cooper was absolutely fantastic. You could say that two years before he did Silver Lines Playbook. I don't think that was much of a risk, but he was very good in it. But American Sniper, if you ignore the CGI horrific baby, which was genuinely- It's not even CGI, it's a, it's a doll. Whatever that was, just ignore that, move on. You've got a great actor now that's-, that's and what I really like about it is that he pushed, that film seemed to push him. And now he's a director. And now he's going out there with Lady Gaga and giving performances that he had no right being when you first saw him, like The Hangover Party, which is one of the worst films. He's bullshit. Mm. Until Hangover Part 3 came along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, Meat. Or is it The Train? Midnight What's, Meat Train. Midnight Meat Train. That's the perfect, that's the one. Oh, when did you start? When did you not give a shit? Oh, I did a film with Vinnie Jones once <laughs> where lizard people eat people on the tram. All right, good. It was written by Clive Barker. Fuck off, mate. I've seen... You did two good Hellraiser films. Get over yourself. <laughs> I just know you're Hellraiser fan. That's why I threw that in there. Uh, but no, to me, it's Bradley Cooper, mate. You, you you redeemed yourself and you continue to redeem yourself and that's the most important thing. Well, I... I yeah, I put that. I mean, for mine, for Bradley Cooper, it was from Sex and the City, Law and Order, Wedding Crashes, The Midnight Meat Train, uh, He's Just Not Into You, The Hangover, Valentine's Day, Hangover 2, The A-Team, Hangover 3... And then all of a sudden, Place Beyond the Pines, Silver Lines Playbook, American Sniper, American Hustle, Joy, Guns of the Galaxy, Star is Born, Bradley Cooper has turned it around. And I suppose this is, we had this conversation when we saw about Angelina Jolie a few weeks ago, where mm. all careers, and here's the thing, as an up-and-coming actor, you would sign your name up to anything. I imagine, you know, horror is a great way in as a young and emerging actor, yeah. um, breaking out into kind of teen screen movies and then you know once pick up look at Chris Evans as Captain America he was in not another teen movie or whatever that one was I know you won't let it go will you (laughs) I will not I will not who also cameoed in um, in Don't Look Up yes he did with a beard yes yeah he did Um, it was a beard wasn't it well, yeah. he's, he's the movie star, isn't he, who's made the movie? Because, again, yes, don't yes. look up. The first response should have been, send Bruce Willis up there to sort it out. Exactly. And then, yeah. Did always make a movie about it, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, Bradley Cooper certainly turned things around. And I think, um, you, and you're not here to point the finger out the actors' first movies or whatever, because I imagine as a gateway into the profession, people are eager to sign up, you know, and naive. And, 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 you know, you think... I imagine you want to get consistent work as well. So if you're the charming, good-looking guy, then if you can get a role as another charming, good-looking guy, you're in Hollywood, it's a cutthroat business. It's something like, it's something ridiculous, like only 97% of mm. actors or male actors and female actors will actually ever make it to the big time. The rest of them are living near the poverty line with second jobs and stuff like that. So Yeah, and so I just want to reiterate, this isn't about sneering at... Um, actors yeah. or anything for that but you know what this is about is those that are, took know, a risk to change took evolved. a risk to change and for the better and it paid off that's what we're celebrating and when, um, so my next one is very much along that lines and links to uh, Bradley Cooper yeah and that is Todd Phillips oh. producer director because if you think of movies like Road Trip Starsky and Hutch the free hangover movies then all of a sudden knocks out The Joker which yeah. Joaquin Phoenix then goes on to win the Oscar. That's spot. weird, isn't it? It is. And he's now in the lines to make the uh, Hulk Hogan biopic movie with Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. That is a change of gear. Now, rightly or wrongly, Todd Phillips, I don't think he's, you know, when he got the Oscar buzz, which he was never going to win Oscar for Best Artist. You did say that, didn't you? And I it, don't, was, and it, was a, it was the performance that made that film. Yeah, and he made a lot of sneering comments at the time, uh, mm. you know, around the fact that why he'd moved away from 
movies like Road Trip and and the comedies he was making, um, because comedy's changed and evolved and, and stuff. But I mean, there's no excuse. Hangover two and three are dog shit. One <laughs> barely gets through it. Dude, Day was all right. I quite like the pairing of. Um, the problem is though, when you watch it, you, there is a better film that's called Playing Strange. Yeah. So Zach Galifianakis in it and Robert Downey Jr. again. Yeah, pretty good. Robert Downey Jr. On, on the upcome as well, so it was a good Robert Downey Jr. But Starsky and Hutch is a home run when you with that cast and it's it, not. The, and at the prime <laughs> of the time. Yeah, yeah but you, it's the prime. Vince Vaughn was in the prime, you know, and um, you know Ben Stiller Owen and Wilson, Owen Wilson appeared yeah. together again after Zoolander and. You've got Will Farrell in the mix as well. And it still yes. just didn't... Jason Bateman. You've got literally comedy, Hollywood's best comedy. You've, and, but the person who still the show is Snoop Dogg. Yeah. <laughs> like the famous non-actor, the rapper. He's the best thing in it. That's the one with the iguana without a tail, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And it's also like, he becomes... The only reason I remember it is because he knows his grass. That's the joke, because he smokes weed. Mm. But at the same time, he, he's a caddy and he, and he plays better golf mm. as a result of that. I just thought that was weird. Did so, you say they like change roles as well? Starsky and Hodge to me is just a mash of what the... F F. It doesn't help that it didn't really know the source material. I didn't watch the TV show, no. so I couldn't get a lot of the inner inside jokes. But Todd Phillips is certainly someone that is like, seriously, that dude made the Joker. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, my next one. Now, I, again, this isn't someone bad. This is someone who's changed the corner. So they've changed the corner, and I think I've actually become a stronger actor as a result of that. But it's a two for one because one of them I was thinking as well, there are a lot of actors that I think phone it in, and sometimes there'll be a performance which is so good, you'll ask the question. Why don't you do that all the time? So I've got two of them, and they both, I kind of noticed in 2014, the film Foxcatcher, have gone, Steve Carell was a comedy man, 40-year-old virgin, The Office. That's his wheelhouse. But he tries his role at a, he tries his role at a dramatic hand. Fantastic. The Big Short, fantastic. And then very underrated uh, Marwin. I thought he was brilliant in that as the a victim of an assault and how he deals with his trauma. I think he's... When we talk about actors, you talk about Jim Carrey, they've got their moments where they do a serious film and they nail it. Mm. Will Ferrell had it with... Um, I can't remember what that film's called. You know the one with the watch and he turns out he, he hears a narration he's going to die. Oh, yeah, yeah. With Emma Thompson. That's a fantastic film. And I think Steve Crow is actually a better a better dramatic actor than he is comedic actor. He's a very funny man, but when I see the, his dramatic films, I think they're so much better. I, without him in The Big Short, mate, I'm not, not interested. He makes that film for me because that's his job. He's the guy who's trying to take it to the system. We learn through his story. I think he's fantastic. Uh, Stranger Mar Than Fiction. So I was trying to figure that out. Yeah, so, so I love Steve Crow when he does a dramatic film. It gets me in. And then on top of that, the 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 covenant, Channing Tatum, mm. he pisses out a lot of poor films, but at the same time, do you know what? He has got it because Twenty One Jump Street, Twenty Two Jump Street, he's fantastically phenomenal, and in this film, he's brilliant. Channing Tatum though is, is dangerously you're right. So um, he this, was he was on my list of he's got it. Why don't he use it more? Yeah, because like this is the end is coming out. Yeah, uh, on Netflix, isn't it? And that and he has a cameo in that, which is hilarious. And that whole film mm. is is hilarious. Um, you've also. Linking in, I'm just trying to make the tedious links with this. Yeah. Um, oh, no, it's gone. I've just had it. I've just had a fucking really good link. Anyway, if it was Chan Tatum. Don't know, because he's on the list. He was on my list, which I've just taken him out. I have, I have this thing, though, in, in my head where there's alarm bells when it comes to an actor, and that's when they are paired with a dog. Yeah. You know, so I always think it's very rare that you get a movie where <laughs> a big actor that you know pairs with a dog and it comes out as a good movie. Yeah. And I know that Chan Tatum's next movie is that he's where he has, dog, yeah. he has to take a dog across country. Yes, because the dog is going to the funeral because it's an, an army dog. Yeah, it? yeah, I've seen the trailer for that. Which, which one of those trailers that has told me the story? So I know exactly. You know, one of those trailers that come out and they tell you, it's like, well, why yeah. don't I watch this film? Does it remind you of Dennis Quaid and his and his film about a dog that keeps coming back to life to haunt him? Yeah, <laughs> which is not purpose. what it is. It's like a Disney film, which is supposed to be enlightening. But to me, it was like, didn't you die? What is yeah. going on? This is horrific. Because <laughs> you've always got the worry about you know, like years down the line, thinking I can't remember much about that film, but the dog was good. 
good. <laughs> I completely forgot it. Forget, sorry, there. There was uh, an actor in that. I bet you remember. Like all of them. Like, yeah. Fox Morden was in that. David Coffin was in there. You don't remember that. You know. <laughs> Um, uh, on the same list of that was actually Mark Wahlberg as well because he in The Departed phenomenal the rest of your sort the rest of your filmography out mate you can't yeah because I mean you could go Adam Sandler great in uh, mm. oh no that's I had different lists for people who needed to sort out and I yeah. was just saying yeah because for, for me it's, it's some people will do a gem like uncut gems and mm. then go back to doing their wheel like shit. shit yeah um, but I think Steve Carell's a really interesting choice I really like Steve Carell's like dra- dramatic performances mm. and in The Office some of his like yeah. acting scenes, um, you know, like that. when he goes to Pam's art show, every time that cuts me up, that, that yeah. scene. It's like, this is our office. This is where we work. Yeah, yeah. he's got, he grounds himself a lot better than uh, Ricky Gervais does in the British one. It's a different comedy. Yeah. He's very good. I'd, I'd agree with you on I that. I do love so. Steve Carr. He's charming, charming blight every time he's in the interviews as well. A lot of the, the, the remaining ones on my list have gone. So Jonah Hill was going to be one of those that I was, uh, uh, was going to talk about. But I'm going to throw it in there right now. A weird one. Just wait for the explanation. Okay. Daniel Radcliffe. I was reading on the internet when I was typing in like, because I was trying to find inspiration. He was on it. I was like, but he never did, a, I can't think of a time he's did a bad one. If you're going to launch into him for being a kid, I was like, I'll draw the line at bad kid actors because not even I'm that horrible. You're about to slag him off as a That's kid. That's where I am. <laughs> I'm going to say that them first, well, to be fair, he was shit. The first two Harry Potter movies are not good. My favourite thing is, and I'll never, I'll never not find this funny, is like, when he has to show his scarf, he quite clearly slaps himself as I go, he just goes like, <laughs> and then pulls his hair it was like there's an easy way of doing that mate and I imagine there's a child actor of that age that is difficult to do a movie that relies so heavily on imagination while you're filming it and a lot is in post mm. so yeah I'm not, but what I'm saying I'm not again I'm not here as I said already as a caveat to this this piece I'm not here to judge anyone by their initial work because they're finding their feet but certainly that third movie he took it up a gear mm. and I don't know whether that was just maturity or, or whatever but there's certainly something about that third movie where you can tell Prisoner of Azkaban, he became a really good actor and carried that through because that's really when the first two are standalones are like Monsters of the Week, aren't they? Or mm. How's Voldemort going to do it this week? <laughs> then you get the continuation more from yeah. the third one onwards. Yeah, no, you um, do. I agree with that. So that third movie, I think, and then look at the films he's been doing since then are just so interesting. I am really worried about the next one with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Does not look good. I do like the fact that Brad Pitt's in it. Yeah, that's I, 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 that's like a saving grace, me like the actual action man. Because obviously, you know what's going. She's going to fall in love with Channing Tatum. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, so I'm a bit worried about that. But again, it's but for me. It's because Radcliffe's well, in it that I'm interested. Well, he's playing the villain as well, so it's, that's be new. That'll be different. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to him being. I, I'm like you. I wasn't that interested because I was like my woman cheating on me with, two, with possibly two guys. And so Daniel Radcliffe, I was like, oh maybe. Mm. Mm. I do want to see it. Um, I've got a few more names to shout out here. Then goo. You're going to disagree with this first one. I really used to hate Dakota Johnson until I saw her Bad Times at the Royal, and then I think she stepped up. <laughs> I'll be honest, I think her career got a lot better after Bad Times at the Royal, where she played like a different character completely that we were used to. I would, I would agree, because Peanut Butter Falcon. Exactly. Thank you. That's the point I've got here. But it started at Bad Times at the Royal, by Bad Times. Um, to keep it. This one, a bit controversial. Tom Hardy, because he used to be shit. Everyone forgets that. He was a villain in a Star Trek film, a bad one. <laughs> However, mm. did Locke, mate. Now he's everyone's, now he's better. Still think he's a bit lazy though, but he in lock he did step up his game massively. Bronson was a was oh Bronson was good point. as well, but that's that's what you mean. Um, Thandi Newen, she used to do bad films, and I can't actually pinpoint the film where she got good. I think it was a TV series. <laughs> I've always been a fan of hers. No, I remember seeing her. I'm sure she's in rock and roll. Actually, not good in rock and roll. Mm. But, but then again, she might have been 
you know, she might, yeah, she not, might, not she many might have, people are good at rock and roll. She, she might have caught something. <laughs> Off Statham. <laughs> no, he's not in it. Oh no, that's <laughs> so bad he can't it? get it. Um, Brad Pitt. Never liked Brad Pitt growing up. And then Seven, changed, changed, turned the corner for me. And I've always been a big fan of Meet Joe Back. And then since then, he does do better films. But his early career where he was literally typecast, I'm sure he is the hot cowboy man in Thelma and Louise. I'm sure that's his title. Yeah, well, he was he was a his Levi Jean yeah, model, Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, now, my big one, mate. My huge one. And this isn't a negative. It's a lot like Steve Crow. He did a lot of comedy roles. But I would say that he's argued now, with his role in a certain TV series, he's now come on to a big, more established actor, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston was the comedy guy. He mm-hmm. was most famous for being the dad of Malcolm in the Middle. But now look at him. The A-list though. When you want to get an older mentor, you go Brian Cranston or you go home. I do or like you get, Or you get another bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think Brian Cranston's probably up there with Matthew McConaughey. He used to be somewhat of a joke, not going anywhere. Stick him in Breaking Bad, mate. He creates gold. After that, The Accountant, the other films that he's been in. Um, Argo. Mm, Godzilla. He's, he can't win them all. <laughs> He's in Isle of Dogs, though. Exactly. So I, I think Brian Cranston. When I was doing that, I was like, I was like, I'm proud of this one. This is a good one. This is a this is one who turned it round. Then they got a list of people that he's turned around. The biggest one is I don't get Melissa McCartney. She's we she's shown she's a really good actress. Stop picking shit films. And that's not her fault. That's her agent's fault. Fire yeah. agent. Melissa McCarthy's the one I always I always root for mm. because there's such good talent there. She lets you down every time. Mm. Anyway. Any, any anyone anyone else that you forgot? No, about? no, they were they were, they were my list. Yeah, Adam McKay. We talked about Todd Phillips. Yeah, this is interesting, isn't it? That I think it goes back to this is what I said with the Angelina Jolie bit. I, I think I probably started that sentence and then got <laughs> got distracted. We talked about her career, about finding her feet, finding the characters, kind of coming into blockbuster. And, and even if you're in a blockbuster movie, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are an established actor. Mm. And I suppose it's when, when, when does that happen for an individual? Is it a specific award? Is it a well-renowned film, a critic favorite, a cult hit? What is it that, that all of a sudden catapults you? And it's that last step, isn't it? It's great if you're in a blockbuster breakout movie. I very nearly put Shia LaBeouf on this list. You could argue, you know, you are yeah. the lead in a Transformers movie. But for me, it's what he's doing now. That's, more, that, yeah. that's making him an established the, the actor. Audiences you know? are less likely to see him, but he's putting on better work. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's what I find really interesting about these careers. Bradley Cooper is a great one. You can't deny I was in successful movies. But the then there time. is that turning point where he's like, actually, I, you know, I'm working with Clint Eastwoods now. You know, I'm working with De Niro's. You know, this just, it's just that, it's that leap, isn't it? I suppose the better segment instead of New Year, New Me would have been, you know, going from A-lister to established actor. Pretty soon, if you look at Joaquin Phoenix's history, you know, you think of, what was it, 1999, he was doing 8mm, and now winning Oscars. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with 8mm, but it's a bit part for him. It is a bit part. Reading classical poetry disguised as pornography. I always really hate that scene. Yeah. It's like 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 the porn customers wouldn't treat him correctly. They'd be like, hey, <laughs> you're reading poetry, I'm not buying my porn. <laughs> um, I'm going to get on to Jason Statham in a moment, but James, very quickly, there was a movie on Netflix that I hovered on the other day, pressed play because it was 90 minutes long, and I thought, let's just give this a go. It's directed by Justin Deck, and it's called Countdown for 2019. Ooh, tell me more about Countdown for 2019 on Netflix. I'm going to do it very, very quickly. If you could download an app... Yes. ...that tells you exactly when you're when going you were to die, die. Yeah. would you download that app? No. <laughs> Why? Or, because I'm stupid, I try and prove it wrong by throwing myself off a bridge. I'd be like, <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> and then I'd leave a note for us to sue them. <laughs> but you would... But the, but the app would know that. That's the point. <gasps> That's weird. That's but, just weird. But, you know, if you was at a house party, if you was persuaded into it, peer pressure, do you think do you think it was a cold hard? No, cold, cold hard no. I like, I like to live in ignorance. But that is exactly what this movie goes down. If you download an app, it tells you exactly when you're going to die. Would you download it? Elizabeth Lale, who you may know from the first season 
of Netflix is You. I didn't really get that show. I don't. Someone someone tried to explain it to me once and I was confused about yeah, was two like, sentences sorry, in. Are we rooting for the stalker? I don't know what we're <laughs> supposed to be doing in this film. Um, is it Dexter? That's why that's when someone explained it to me, I was like, are you talking about Dexter? I'm like, no, you. I was like, I'm sure you're talking about the film. I'm sure you're talking about Dexter. Yeah, Dexter killed bad people. Yeah, it you, he stalks innocent people. It sounds like a hero. I hope you've got several series. Uh, This film does exactly that. It is a... um, Sorry, uh, Elizabeth Lale, sorry, is in this movie, leads in this movie as Quinn, and she downloads the app to find out that she's going to die in three days' time along with her sister. As the clock ticks down, a demonic figure starts to stalk her, and she tries to find a way to cheat her death date. This is a 90-minute nuts and bolts horror that plays on its central theme and has a few jump scares along the way and a few original moments that actually do play well into mm. the genre. So it wasn't, you could probably guess from the tone already of this, um, it's, there's nothing extravagant about this movie. I'm not, mm. I'm not going to be like, this is a breakout horror movie. You've got to go watch it. It's exa- it. If you get that tagline, a woman downloads an app that tells her when she's going to die and she doesn't like the fact she's going to die in three days, so she's got to do something about it. 90 minutes, you're going to get that. Yeah. That's all you're going to get. Also, 90 minutes is perfect for this whole type of story. Exactly. Yeah. Don't outstay its welcome. It, it, you know, there are some pretty creepy scenes in, because she's a nurse, so there are in like the morgue and stuff like that. Um, there are some pretty good jump scares as well with this demonic type figure that goes, that starts to stalk you as you're getting closer to that countdown. It's not particularly uh, written well. Um, and it does rely on audiences knowing movies like Final Destination and Happy Death Day to really get into it. Yeah. It has laughable cliches throughout the movie, like they go to the abandoned part of the hospital for the end scene. Like, and, you know, they literally walk out of like this nice sterile looking hospital and they're like, don't go through them doors. And then it's like the creepiest corridor you've ever seen. But luckily, a lot of medicine's still on that side of the that door. That is lucky. That's extra lucky. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they they go to a priest who's like, I don't deal in the demons, but I do know a person. And they're a wacky priest. Of you are. know, it's got that. It's got. Um, you don't want to be taken seriously. One of my one of my favorite moments is I don't know just delete the app. So they have to go to a uh, quirky, eccentric, sarcastic what, um, phone dealer. What does the app do if you sell your phone? Uh, or reset factory settings. Or, it just reappears even though you didn't download take it. Take the battery out. So the phone's off then. Was it well, stay on? Perpetual, I didn't write the film, James. Perpetual energy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't write it. it. I just wanted to mention that I watched it this week, and it was it entertained. It's ninety minutes. It was like. Okay, how is she going to do it? I was kind of intrigued to find out how she was going to skip the system, if you like. Because mm. it establishes very early on that, you know, when your time is up, it's up. It's like Final Destination, very much in that vein, mm. you know. Um, but in this case, it isn't like an accident or a series of just random events that cause a death. You know, this hooded figure, this death-like figure just comes and grabs. If you do not die how you're supposed to die, so there's a character, it's not a spoiler, it happens in the first scene. She downloads the app. She realizes, she says she's going to die in like four minutes. And a drunk boyfriend is like, come on, get in the car. She's like, fuck that. And so she walks home and then she gets an alert on her, on her phone saying, you've deviated from the plan. And then this hooded demon comes after her. Well, actually, no. I thought that, that, which when I said about it plays on its themes well, at least it has that. It kind of goes beyond Final Destination and those yeah. kind of movies. It gives you a little bit more. But ultimately, it is resolved in a very, very like less than... You know, I thought it was going to be like, I don't know what I was expecting, James. <laughs> fucking still- science or something at the end of this movie. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it didn't it didn't fulfill itself how I'm it wanted to. I'm sorry, mate. I know. Sorry but, to hear that. But that is Countdown. Take it how you will. Watch it or avoid it. I don't know. Take it as you will. There you go. Neither pit nor... nor no, this is, a, this is so lukewarm in the middle. It's this unbelievable. the rivers of cage. There it's, you go. It's on the fence. Now, a few weeks ago, um, 
I was ill. Yeah, you were. And I talked back to a time when I was ill previously and I watched Gerald Butler movies in the hope that the Gerald Butler uh, would help me get over the illness. Three days and nine movies later, it did not, James. I know. I was ended up in hospital. Do you know what the thing is though? <laughs> on Netflix, there's quite a few safe films. There, there is, James. <laughs> so this time around, I thought, uh, when I got ill this time, because we kept pushing back recording this film, I, every day I watched another one. And by the end of it, I watched them all. I've I seen know. every single one. I'm including seen... then hunted one down, which I'd heard about on the internet and watched that. There was a moment where I thought it's the last month of 2021 <laughs> and I'm watching Stafer movies when I should be watching Christmas movies <laughs> with my one-year-old. Um, but nonetheless, I was ill. So I had a few days spare in bed where I thought I'm just going to binge him. Can the power of the Stafe save me from this illness? Just a bit of a biography about Jason Statham before we get going. We're going to ask the ultimate question no one is asking. What's your favourite Jason Statham movie? Uh, Snatch. Oh, you're throwing it out there already? Yeah. All right. Oh, so have you been asking me? No, I was just... <laughs> I was just... No, before we started this, mm. before we started this, I went in there. I ain't seen that many. I went with Snatch. That's where I started. And then I watched all these films. Maybe my answer will change at the end. Because he's not a lead role in Snatch. He's not. But then again, what I love about it is he's the best thing in Lockstock and Two Smoking Bars, which was his first thing. And he's still the best thing in that. Mm. But no, I, Snatch, I do you know what? I think Snatch was a breakout role because I know he got paid pins for it. But he's in a film with Brad Pitt and Benicio Del Toro. And, you know, he's actually very good. And the one thing that we'll say from all of this, you know, he always plays an ex-something. Mm. He's never ex-charming, mate. He's always charming. <laughs> <laughs> he's consistently charming. When I came out of this, I was thinking charisma. And, mm. and spoiler, no, no spoilers. I'll, I'll save it to my conclusion at the end, which I've actually got written down. <laughs> so. So Jason Statham was born on the 26th of July, 1967 in Shearbrook in England. He's a double odds, rough and tough action superstar known for movies including Crank, War, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Revolver, and his latest, Wrath of Man. Known for his trademark chuff, tiki, uh, cheeky, anti-hero performances, Statham burst onto our screens in 1980, 1998 sorry, in the movie Lockstock. Uh- Classic film that celebrates London gangster life uniting a footballer and a diver into an instant British classic. <laughs> He's odd, isn't it? It's a footballer and a diver. How weird is he? Where do you go casting? <laughs> yeah. So he was a French Connection model and for, and the, the brand French Connection were um, sponsoring Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. I did not know that. Yeah. So they wanted Guy Ritchie's gangsters all to wear French Connection. Ah. Jason Statham was a model for French Connection. Yes. They said, can you put this guy in the movies? Was, that's odd. how it happened. And that's, that's that launched the career. Yeah, he had been in other things and was trying to break out. He, so Lockstock was not his first accredited IMDb performance, but he was certainly the one that got his name on posters or at least um, one that people would take away. But yeah, you're right. Um, before being discovered uh, and being a model, he studied martial arts, was part of England's 1990 Commonwealth diving team. It's so, so weird. It's odd, isn't it? It's great, but it's odd. <laughs> it, is, it is great and weird. And I suppose, I mean, he came 12th that year. So I suppose if we're talking about New Year, New Me, he, he definitely knew me. Um, <laughs> he did fucking, he was like, I'm 12th. <laughs> don't need to get best at something. What I love as well is that he's a hard man based on really nothing. <laughs> he's just like, he's bold. He looks like a bit, he looks a bit like Grant Mitchell. He's an action hero. Yeah. And he, he talks hard, you know, and, and I suppose the Americans and the audiences, Western audiences lap that up, that British tough nutter. Um, because you're right, after 2000's uh, Snatch, and it was very quickly into the Transporter trilogy. You always, I always forget as well how quick them three movies were made. They didn't drag them out. So I haven't seen them. I've never seen them. But I know the basic premise. And I love the fact that he cameos in Collateral with Tom Cruise. I think that to me is fantastic. Yeah. He literally just pops in. in they the must airport. have been screening near, near each other. It's just like, oh, I'll do a bit mm. part. The commercial success of the Stafes movies has been a journey of ups and downs. 
Whereas heist and action thrillers such as The Italian Job, The Mechanic, Spy and Crank have landed a profit, Revolver, Blitz, Wildcard, Hummingbird have not, and neither did Ghost of Mars. I'm sorry, Oi. James. You've got some arse alone. <laughs> um, two of Statham's most blockbuster franchises include The Vast and the Furious and The Expendables, but he does also have the transport under his belt. Showcasing Jason Statham's uh, penchants for B-movie actions um, and popcorn fun. Sure, critics say that his characters lack depth and variety, but the Statham can kick down a door off its hinges and, I don't know, punch a fucking rhino dead. He, he's, he's just hard, isn't he, in all of his movies? <laughs> Commercially, he is a success. He's, he's a fucking his, huge success yeah, as his well. his movies grossing over a billion. Um, and if you look at the trajectory of his career, his movies are becoming more profitable. Mm. So he, you know, if you look at that very standard graph, he is on the up. I don't know if, though, if that's, you can really blame him because I'm sure his highest one is... Hobbs and Shaw, but that's basically based on the back of another franchise. You can't say he built that up, but at the yeah. same time, he don't care, mate. He's laughing to the bank. If you take away his franchises, so if you take away Fast and Furious, well, you take away Expandables. Like Hummingbird and Safe. Uh, Rafa Man is his biggest grossing movie, which is the 2021 movie that he was in. So, um, in interviews, Stafe has never been shy in defending his choice of movies, stating that... I've got um, no skill. Well, <laughs> stating that the action genre is where he's most comfortable and he likes doing what he does. Why not? Same as Jared Butler. I think Jared Butler is also very candid in interviews by saying, these are the movies I want to make, so I make them. And you could argue... You can't, you can't disagree with that. You could probably argue that 90% of the population goes to work and does the same thing every day. Yep. Why can't actor James? Why can't Jason Statham? I'm on his side. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> calm down. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, so if we take away non-franchises, Rafa Man, which came out last year, tops the box office, while Spy on Rotten Tomatoes is his highest uh, rated movie. That he's kind of a funny film. It's not a great film. It's, it's nice. McCarthy again. It's just, it's just like a, huh, that's funny. I can tell you right now, Romeo and Juliet isn't going to top the list of my favourite, but um, I suppose it's just a good chance now. There are three movies I watched, four that, movies, sorry, that I watched. fucking kidding? Room. It's all you watched? Four. In the last week, James. And it's been Christmas, New Year's, and my kid's first birthday. You should lose your job, mate. Then you have a lot more time to do this. <laughs> um, I've watched Blitz, Safe, Hummingbirds, which is called Redemption, I, I think, is, because of the we were UK. trying to find notes, and Hummingbird gave me a lot of weird shit. Yeah, and Wrath of Man, which Wrath of Man was the one that was the catalyst for the Safe conversation, because I watched it on Amazon when it was out. Did, what movies did you watch? I did Chaos, Revolver, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrel, Snatch, Safe, Hummingbird, Homefront, The Mechanic, in the name of the king, which is the one I genuinely went out and looked for. And I'll tell you why when I get onto it, mate, because fucking beautiful. I'm not going to tell you anything about the film, but fucking beautiful. Um, any of those that you want to talk about? Look, I did very short synopsis. So like Lock, Stock, classic film that celebrates London Gangster Life, uh, Snatch, the upgraded and better version of Lock, Stock. <laughs> Snatch adds a star power, more intertwining stories and sets up Jason Statham to be a main player in Hollywood. It mm. did. It's his launching pad because he does so well. And I think that was a gamble, giving him, while not a main role, Guy Ritchie doesn't do main roles. Everyone has bit parts and they, they go to a bigger part. Usually the only consistent throughout the story is a villain. And no one has a name. They're all like, yeah. like Anson Rob. And- Tom, Tommy. Yeah. That's literally the most, it was like brick top. Yeah. Uh, I love Snatch. I, when I rewatched I mean, it this week, I genuinely do. I'm love pretty Snatch. certain in Rapid Man, one of them's even called like Sweaty Dan. <laughs> sweaty Boy. That's it. <laughs> sweaty Boy. Yeah. Um, I actually did watch... Uh, the the latest film that's on Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, but I didn't actually write any notes for it because you you were doing the notes. No, 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 it's fine. I didn't, didn't want to go um, into too many notes anyway. I mean, Jesus Christ, chaos! Did you, you saw chaos with Ryan Phillippe and Wesley Snipes? Do you remember when Ryan was supposed to be the next big thing in Hollywood? Yeah, what I, the fuck happened there? Because I noticed that Josh Harnett also shows up later in the film that we're talking about. Again, another. I think it's really weird that Jason Statham, as we've discussed, is actually getting more popular. But all these people he's just surpassing now are they were the next big thing, like chaos. 
A bank is robbed and a customer's taken hostages. They demand that they will only negotiate with disgraced and suspended cop Jason Satham. It becomes a cat and mouse type game with Wesley Snipes seemingly haunting Jason due to a situation that caused the death of a suspect, an innocent bystander, and the death of the career of Jason's partner. It's called Chaos because Chaos Theory is in it. And it's like it's like they had a basic film and just went, what shall we what bollocks shall we add into it? Chaos Theory. Because it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Did you see Chaos this week? I did. I have seen it though. Terrible twist ending. Yeah. Like, it's like a twisting so obvious, it's more obvious than a comment heading straight to the planet. I was like, well, that's who Wesley Snipes is then. But these really weird ones watching this film that we had Jason Statham on the up and up. Wesley Snipes coming down. Mm. And then right in front of a never starter. I just thought it was really weird seeing these three different languages in different stages because Jason Statham will be the Wesley Snipes actor. Do you know, I think I figured it out already. Yeah. Do you see me out? Midnight yeah. Meat Train. Yeah. Bradley Cooper meets Vinnie Jones. <laughs> yeah. Lock, stock, and tube smoking barrels. Yeah. Jason Statham meets Vinnie Jones. <laughs> is Vinnie Jones the catalyst <laughs> for death? For death of careers? <laughs> no, for the start of careers. <gasps> oh my God. That would actually explain it because... Yeah. Angelina Jolie after Gone is 60 Seconds. Fuck me. Vinnie Jones is a star maker. Nicholas Cage's career only went to New Heights after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why after the condemned Stone Cold Steve Austin won an Oscar. <laughs> well, Stone Cold after that? Who, who was in The Expendables, James? Oh Stone Cold God. over Vinnie Jones. Oh my God. You fucking nailed it. This It's no longer about Statham. It's investigate Vinnie Jones. I don't even think Vinnie Jones is human. I think he's an angel so, to save careers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chaos is not is not one of the best movies. It's shit. Stop defending it. <laughs> it's terrible. Did you watch Blitz this week? Yep. Right. I, I, but what I love about Blitz is basic police work would have finished that case in seconds. I, <laughs> in actual seconds. I mean, if you've done any investigating of any kind, that's what you do. But no, 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 not in a film Blitz. Tell me Blitz is not a Luther episode. It just didn't make it to Luther and they went, fuck, we'll turn this into a movie. It is then. definitely a film. It, 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 mate, I don't even think it's as good as I think it was a Bill episode. I was <laughs> genuinely like looking at IMDb. I was like, I've not seen Blitz. It's on uh, Netflix. Stay from, okay. Paddy Constant. Considine, who I love. Aiden really Gillian, like who you are a little finger supporter. I, I, I think Aiden Gillian, if you look at his career, he has been in the best films and the best supporting roles or taking them. He was in Queer as Folk, you know, like a genuinely generational breaking TV series. Mm. And the film Blitz. Oh. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. David Morris is in it. Mark Rylance is in it. Luke Evans is in it. And I'll tell you what, James, I've, I've watched Beauty and the Beast, the live action one with Emma Stone, not Emma Stone, Emma Watson, Watson twice in the last week. Why? One, did, you, did you not understand it the first time? Well, no, one, one I just finished Dope Sick and yeah. I was on the Disney app and I was like, I've never seen that. And I was rapping Christmas Friends. Oh, last you thing. didn't pay really pay attention to it the first time. No, so and then it was on Boxing Day while I was around my dad's house. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, I started this movie two nights ago. Let's watch it. And, and I finished it. In our time, do you wish you'd left it? I'll tell you what, James. I'll tell you what. Beauty and the Beast has some bangers. Yeah. Some of them songs, mate, bangers. Yeah. <laughs> oh god sorry excuse me I thought he was going to break out in the song no uh, uh, Blitz is a celebration of everything that's wrong with films because it had all these great cast but they didn't do anything Mark my, my Rylance is literally here for about 30 seconds well, like, like give me a paycheck well, <laughs> get you later but this is before he, you, you know like obviously a, a kind of I suppose a legend of the theatre but before he mm. kind of became a household name in the big screen yeah but believe it or not James you're not going to fuck it you Hold on. Oh, I'm going to hold on, mate. Statham yeah. plays a tough cop. What? Who doesn't play by the rules. What? In London. <laughs> and there's a serial killer taking down he's, the targeting police officers. He's not officers. a very good serial killer. I'll evade again. He's like, I wear sunglasses. Cool. But they, I, I think the angle it's trying to go down is that this killer is it's so off so the, random. Yeah, he's so off, It could he, happen to anyone. He's off the chain. He's killing cops in broad daylight, uh, you know, almost with like a kind of kid mentality. 
um, you know, and and, uh, and getting away with it. And it, he's, it just plays out like a Luther episode. Statham there is, um, doesn't do police work. He just goes around punching people until they give him information. There is a Luther episode where there's someone going around killing cops, isn't it? Yeah. It turns out it's the, the son of uh, Sean Pertwee. Um, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a bad, it's a terrible film. He's so bad. It he, is. He, but really I did bad. find myself fascinated that this many people are in it. And it is a... It is an eighteen. It is a proper. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Brutal I, movie. I was like, I was, I was always a big fan of Morrissey, and it really upsets me that his career seems to have like gone off a cliff. Seeing him in this makes me think, well, maybe, maybe there's a reason why you're not in things anymore. And like the governor is where you peaked in Walking Dead. Maybe that's where you peaked, mate. If you're talking about chaos, chaos and blitz aren't very good. But what about if you got back with the director that kind of made him famous, and he was told that lock, stock, and snatch, but with a brain. And you watch the film Revolver with Ray Liotta and Mark Strong. Would you call it a giant mess, a dumpster fire, if you will? There's so much going on. It's a metaphor wrapped up in a conundrum, locked away in a quantum physics textbook, sealed in a container made of unobtainium, and the only way to access it is to dip your balls in the sun. Guy Ritchie was clearly off his fucking rocker when he wrote this. What? What? I've seen... The reason I kept this film on DVD, I swear to God I got on DVD, because when I watched it, I was like... Bleh. And I swear to God, I was like, one day I'll come back and rewatch it and I'll understand it. Do I? Fuck. <laughs> what is that film about? I watched it once and I remember Jason Statham with hair just really unsettled me. Yeah. So, so I love the, the the ideal premise is that he literally borrows off. Everyone thinks he's great with his hands. He's a great moneymaker. This, this, this happens in the first 10 minutes of the film. So he borrows money from person A and he takes it to person B. And then person B borrows him money and he uses that money to go pay off person A and then basically he does that so people don't know he's borrowing money and he becomes very he's known as oh you give him a thousand pounds give you two thousand pounds back and then he takes as much money off both loan charges as possible they don't pay him back because he, he's all he's doing is swapping money and so there's a gang war done that's like 10 minutes I do not know what the rest of the film's about I know mm. Andre from uh, that band Outcast Outcast he was in it yep still don't know what that film's about I genuinely don't know what that film is about. Well, I'll see you and I'll raise you. Ooh. Hummingbird slash redemption, depending on what country you're in. What's really funny is, this has got, did you see the film, um, did you see the film Safe? Yeah. When I put on Hollywood, I just watched Safe. I thought I, re, I thought I was watching the same film. They are quite close, aren't they? They're literally the exact same story. Safe, while we're on it then, Safe, I was watching that. In the first 20 minutes of that movie, I'm like, what the fuck is this? There's like so much going on. And like this, this gang and there's that gang and there's this little girl who's good with numbers. She's great and with numbers. Right? She, she can, she got photographic memory. So I love the fact that they then get her to run a business because giving an eight year old access to all your business, that won't go wrong, you fucking idiot. And then there's like Statham who's in the middle, who was a cop, who's not a cop. And then- Not only is he an ex-cop, he's also an ex-cage fire. Yeah. And then he's threatened <laughs> by this gang. Because an ex-cop's not enough. By this gang who's like, we're going to let you live, but anyone you ever love or come in contact with or or talk to, we're going to kill. Now, that's that that's not playing the long game, is it? No, you know, like so. Years later, Statham just randomly gives another homeless person his shoes. That person ends up dead because of that generosity. Mm. It's like we're always watching you, Stafe. No, is that is that which one's that? That's in safe. That's not in Norman. <laughs> no, yeah, that's in safe. <laughs> That's his safe because then he finds the little girl and they go on a little adventure. I thought he was together. trying to kill himself in a bit of it's safe. No, no. So with Hummingbird, that's the one that starts where he's an ex. Uh, he's an ex cop. Military. Ex special forces, yeah. but he's also an alcoholic because he has to act <laughs> very, very quickly. And, yeah. then, and then he becomes a chef after he steals someone's apartment. That's then, quick, isn't it? That progression. And, and then and then he's working for the mob, which is lucky that he can use those kicking skills. Yeah. He, because he's trying to find. Because hold on here, because he's also friends with a nun and he's trying to search for a former prostitute who's his friend who died in the first scene. <laughs> but Benedict Wong's in it. Oh. That was a surprise when he pops up. And Vicky McClure's in it as well. 
I, I genuinely cannot remember the difference between safe and home. They literally, uh, the only thing I like about the end of hummingbird is that it makes sense. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand, but the term hummingbird, because that's the sound the drones that haunted him is the stuff that haunted him when he was in the next And I liked that. I was like, oh my God, it, there's actual redemption in the story. There is also a scene in the, in Hummingbird, which I thought was pretty good, where he has PTSD waking up in the night and he can't differentiate between the apartment he's in and mm. the war. I genuinely scenes. think Hummingbird, there was an actual decent There's film a in decent there. movie in there. Yeah. Not in Safe. I thought I was like, Bleh. no, no, Safe was terrible. <laughs> and I remember Safe coming out and I think I went to cinema to watch it because I remember when Cellular came out. Can you remember that? Yeah, where he he's the he's the villain in that, and he's kidnapped. I can't remember who it is. Oh, I can't remember it then. I never knew Satan played the villain, except for in that Fast and Furious film when it turns out he's not the villain. I want <laughs> to say Chris Evans or Chris Pine was the good guy now. Who's got him on the phone? Oh, Ryan Reynolds. No, I'm thinking Ryan Reynolds get buried in the film. I think that's why I'm thinking. Yeah, that's about. buried. Oh. No, no, the, the cellular was like eight, you know early two thousands of him. But um, yeah, Hummingbird Humming, was a weird one. I was watching it and I was like, I kind of like it. I kind of don't. It's a bit different, but it's a lot the same. Yeah, it was just one of them movies. Where, and then when it ended, I was kind of like impartial to it. Mm. But moving through, uh, Wrath of Man, his latest one, mm. where he's reunited once again with um, with uh, Guy Ritchie. You know, because Aladdin just didn't work out. Because was nice That's <laughs> never weird though, is it? He's weird. It's like when you look at his film, oh, oh, you did, you did, you did Logs Talking to Smoking Mars. Do Aladdin. Disney were like, right, we need someone to bring to life, you know, in live action, a movie, you know, set in the Middle East about a kid that finds a, a genie in a lamp and there's, you we know, know instantly there's we'll a princess and all this kind of stuff. Fucking, Guy yes, Ritchie. Guy Ritchie will do that movie. Well, he was strong after not directing that Robin Hood film, which I, when I saw it, was like, how did Guy Ritchie not direct this film? <laughs> so that was such a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah. Who's King Arthur he did, not Robin Hood. I was, I was wrong. King Arthur, yeah. That's yeah. a shit film. Um, so, Wrath of Man came out on Amazon and it was a big release, exclusive on Amazon. It did have a very limited window uh, cinema release. Quite a productive box office, I think, when it was released as well. As we talked about reuniting with Guy Ritchie, it's a movie that stars Jason Statham, Josh Hartnett, who we've already talked about, and Holt McCannley, who, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, what's that TV series? Is it Manhunters on Netflix? Oh, I, I have seen it, but he'll always be famous for me in the episode, Mr. Monk and the Three Pies, where he's trying to kill people for a pie. Yes. <laughs> it's also got Eddie Marsden in it, who yeah. Gary Sheet keeps putting in movies. And Andy Garcia needed a new kitchen, so he signed up to do two scenes in this movie. Um, it's that... I genuinely can't remember him being in him. Yeah, he's the guy who lets Statham go and gives him the intel. He's the... Of course he is. Yep. No, he's the I'm agent. Yep, no. And stay from in this in the posters, wearing a nice suit, you know, but his hands are bruised. It's very, it's very in your face Guy Ritchie movie of mm. the times, uh, following movies like The Gentleman, Lockstock, um, and Snatch. So the movie plays on the character H, who's played by uh, Jason Statham, who fucking annoys me. They don't, I, they call him H first. It's like that's never gonna dig a nickname A, <laughs> or <What>? J. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not the fucking Men in Black, is it? The um, he takes up the job as a uh, security guard for a truck company that ca that transports cash from businesses to the bank. So yeah, there's there's been an instance so they're rehiring extra people on it. There's there's been a robbery. Some guards have been murdered. So they're increasing their security because it's also heading up to Christmas and they want extra people. And this guy comes highly recommended from Europe. Yeah, there's a, yeah. It, so and um, as as James was saying there, there's a a siege that goes down. People are killed. 
So they tighten up security, they take on this guy and all is going well until there is another attempt on the security vehicle and then H, who just passes the exam, just 70% and that's the cutoff. All of a sudden turns out to be a, you won't believe it, James. What? Double R'd. Double R'd. Tough. What? Mercenary killer kind what of character. Killer? No, you won't believe it. I'll be it. honest, that's actually the most interesting part because when he barely scrapes it, he's he's very, I would say this is his most silent protagonist role. He barely speaks in this. No, I actually think that worked for the Stath, you know. I know, I love the fact now he is the Stath. The Stath was very good in this film, as in as in the first 20 minutes when he's hiding in plain sight. And then the bit where he actually turns it on and you kind of find out he's a bit of a cold killer. I actually was like, I was like, where are you going with this? This is new. Yeah, so by the end of the first act, it, you, you kind of feel that you're in familiar Guy Ritchie territory, that there's obviously more to the storyline than meets the eye. It's not as... As, as clear cut as first scene, you know, who is Jason Statham really? What happened with the incident where a uh, truck was robbed? You also get uh, characters where, you know, one of whom you think is a, a working for the gang on the mm. inside of this firm. So it's a bit of a cat and mouse kind of storyline. It's always great to see Trevor from Miss I was going to say, Alex <laughs> Ferns is in it. And you've got these multiple characters and he's very Statham. He's very sorry, Guy Ritchie. Everyone's got a bloody nickname in this film. Um, no one speaks in, everyone speaks in kind of like that. Despite the fact they're not cognitive, they're speaking hard men language. Yeah. No, it's overqualified. So we're all overqualified for this job. Now, I actually quite enjoyed, now I don't know whether it was the illness mm-hmm. or, or whatever it was. Is this one that started it? Started you delving into I watched Rock Man, then I started going yeah. back into other Stephen movies. I don't know why it was I enjoyed about it. Whether or not it's because I I felt like this was exactly, I knew what I was going to get when I, when I saw that it was Jason Statham and Josh Hartnett was going to be in it. Straight away, edit Guy Ritchie, and it was on streaming services at one night at the cinema. I was mm. like, by the end of the movie, I was like, what the heck? I, did, I, did, I got exactly what I thought I was going to get. Yeah. And I actually quite enjoyed it. Whereas a movie like The Gentleman is over the top, Guy Ritchie, you know, kind of yeah. almost feels a bit showy offy. It's too good. Look how Ritchie, cool yeah. we are, kind of thing. Um, this, this was like. Look at this country jacket. Yeah, and it's not Aladdin, obviously. This is like, well, this is what I imagine Statham. You know, Stephen pulled out. When I watched this Jason Stephen movie, this is what I expected. When I put on a Guy Ritchie movie, this is what I expected. And to be honest, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's got three very different acts, you know, act one, two, and three. But And the last one becomes a huge siege and gunfight. I was like, I don't know what I expected, but it probably ticked every box. Mm. Not a good movie. No. Fuck it out. Did, did, I wasn't expecting Shakespeare. <laughs> I, uh, I really like the first, there's three definitive acts. I liked the first one. Mm. I didn't really like the second one. And the third one, I thought it pulled it back a little bit. I just don't care. That's the problem. I think they had a really good idea for a film. But let's be honest, it's, it's not it's not a surprise ending. It's not tricky. It's not even particularly clever. Nothing's like resolved in a, oh my God way. Nothing's, the end is very, well, this is what happened. I think the surprise is there's not more of a surprise. And what I mean by that mm. is, is, you know, the end of Snatch, for example, which I've recently watched, the ending of that's quite convoluted, you know, how Jason Stay turns up with a diamond, meeting Frank Butcher from EastEnders, whilst an American comes back, you know, after he just left. That's cool, you know, the new day. This one's like, oh, this how, oh, this how exactly how I thought it was going to end. Yeah. I, I thought it was all right, but just all right. Like, not breaking the rules. I thought the first 20 minutes, I was genuinely quite good. Like, when that scene that you talked about where Statham basically turns it on, and then everyone starts asking the questions, like, he gets questions like, well, why didn't you... Why did you only pass the scores? You only got like the bare bones, but he went with 100% accurate shooting and he's just like adrenaline. I was like, why are they doing it? I thought it was a really interesting story. Mm. They, they didn't, he did go somewhere, but unfortunately went exactly where 
every other story like that would have gone. But it goes back to that that conversation, doesn't it, about Statham saying, look, I know what I do and mm. I, and these are the movies I sign up to do. He pulls this off really well. Yeah, yeah, you know, does. like if you want, if, if, looking at that script in that story, you need to want to pull that off. Statham pulls that off. He pulls off, like you say, the, the stoic, non-verbal, but the person you don't fuck with, the rookie, the new guy on the team who has to elbow his way in very quickly and be kind of, um, absorbed by this group because mm. he has a motive. He's not there by accident. That's the whole point of this movie. Because then when you find out who he really is, you're like, oh, okay, that makes act one make a lot more sense now. I think that's why I didn't like it because when it turns out who he is, I was like, that's shit. And then by the third act, it, it, does, it does lose itself, but it becomes just a gun shootout. Yeah. And, and that's, I suppose, where it kind of loses it a little bit for me. But ultimately, again, I was like, what was I expecting? Like everyone in this film is gunned up to fuck mm. um, you know and Statham is a, a double R's nutter he's double R he's double egg and chips mate yeah double so you're waiting for something to happen at the end and it, and it, and it delivers that you know what I've, I was like it. yeah it did exactly what it I was thought right. I was going to do it was alright mm. yeah can't win them all Stath. you can't but, 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 no, but, but, but right. this is what I'm saying I would watch that over a Fast and the Furious movie okay what about um, do you know what are you going to talk about another one what do you want? Out. What do you want? I, I, I'm saving In the Name of the King till the end, mate. I'll go for that then. Okay, we'll end it with here. In the Name of the King, close your eyes and imagine this. And I swear to God, this is real. <laughs> Burt Reynolds is king of Eop, a fantasy land with all the trimmings. He has a son played by Matthew Lillard. Oh no, I've seen this. Ray Liotta is an evil mage trying to take control of the world. Jason Statham is the actual long lost son of the king and true heir to the throne. No wait, there's more. There's more, mate. In the sequel, Dolph Lundgren is a hitman in modern times who gets transported back in time to the kingdom of Eb. It turns out he was the son of Jason Statham and was sent forward in time to protect him. And I never saw it, but the third one stars Dominic Purcell. So hopefully that means he was Dolph's son. What a bloodline. Nothing about the film, mate. In the name of the king. In the name, and I'll give them their full titles. In the name of the king, a dungeon siege tale. In the name of the king, two worlds. In the name of the king, the last mission. Dominic Purcell, a.k.a. not that guy from Prison Break, <laughs> the, the other, other guy. guy. <laughs> so so can I just say that in the name of the king, so it's Burt Reynolds, Jason Statham, Dominic Purcell. What a fucking plot. Ron man. Pillman, mate. Ron, Ron Pillman's in it, but he's not a son. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not really, it's, 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 no, it's magical. I feel it's magical. It's as magical as the land it's set in, in the name of the king, proving that Statham was a yes, did pretty much anything. It's a UV Bowl film and he makes... He makes bad movies and he gets tax breaks for it. So he somehow makes a shit film and gets richer from it. So well played. What an arsehole. Unbelievable. Can I just say something that about Statham though? Mm. I've, and I genuinely mean this. I don't care that he's in shit films, you know. I think I quite like just experiencing him. Because the one thing you'll say, he's always charismatic. Mm. He's always a draw. He gets away with it. I quite like that he's in crap films. I know it sounds pretty shitty, but you know... Homefront, for example, he plays an XDA agent because he's got to be an ex. Mm. To Statham to really evolve as an actor, he would stay the same. He needs to, it, the title needs to be one word Blitz, Chaos, Expendables, Hummingbird, Expendables. <laughs> and he also needs to play an ex something. He always, he always needs to be an ex cop, an XDA agent, an ex special forces. And do you know what? I'm happy. I, the one thing I will say about this is throughout all of these crap films that I watched, I was never upset with Statham. Mm. He might have nailed it. I quite liked it. Even going back to the Meg, a film I don't like because I wanted a bit more. And everyone says, you get, <clears throat> I hate that argument. It's like, what did you expect? I was like, I, I didn't think the film was fun. I was expecting fun. 
But Jason Statham gives me exactly what I wanted from Jason Statham in a film, and I wanted a bit of Statham, and I got it. I, I'm upset, though, now knowing what I did, that he didn't do, like, an awesome dive into the river. It's like, you're a next diver, mate. Give us a <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's so consistent in not deviating from his skill set that he's more believable that some of these movies are sequels yeah. than actual films that are sequels and trilogies, where I question that the actor is in the same film that he started in. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've watched trilogies before where I look at someone like Bruce Willis and talk about this all the time. He's in Dowd 5, that is not John McClane. Yeah. Bruce Willis has changed that character so much, he's no longer John McClane. Whereas I would believe, if you told me right here, right now, that three of these safer movies are actually a trilogy that, you know, not obviously taking away things like Expendables and mm. uh, Transporter, three mm. of the random ones, like Safe, Blitz and Hummingbird, Hummingbird are yeah. the same movie, I'd be like, yes, because that is the same person. <laughs> And that character arc is that he don't go anywhere. It's very linear. It's, it's not really an arc as much as it's just a straight line. But I genuinely think he's one of the most charismatic performances. I don't know what it is, but he gets a pass. He's ter- you've got to have a terrible accent as well. He's American accent. It's crap. Mm. But do you know what? I've, I, do you know what? I, I, I didn't dislike these films because of Statham. Yeah. And he survived the, the films that he's in more mm. so than other actors that try and break out in those B-movies, you yeah. know, and try and make a career out of those... Well, Josh you know, Hartnett's the perfect example. Like Josh Hartnett was trying to break that bubble and now he is in literally the secondary character in what you'd argue is a B-movie. Well, he's, so. And he's, he's Josh Hartnett's next movie is he's with Jason Statham again. Please tell me we've got a situation with that director and Bruce Willis. It's like, I won't let you go, Bruce. Audrey <laughs> Plaza's in it as well. Oh. I can't remember. They are what? X something. Oh, good. That's all I care about. Hold on. I'm good at it but like I said, there's something about Statham, mate, that I genuinely watch. I don't dislike him. I think he's quite charismatic. That's the word I'd use. He's so charming and charismatic, mate. He he will bring me to it. Am I going to go to the cinema to see Save 2 or the next film he does? He's got to be one word like Glitter. Am I If he comes out with a film with Glitter, am I going to go see it? No. But when it comes out on streaming, that's when it'll get me. A regular stream. That's that's And what a weird week he's been watching these films. So... His next movie coming out after he, he's doing a movie called The Beekeeper. The Beekeeper is that he's got another uh, Guy Ritchie film coming out, which is which, which is the Operation Fortune, which is yeah. with Josh Hartnett, Audrey Plaza, Hugh Grant is in it, and Carrie Ellis. Ellis, oh. Carrie Ellis. I don't know him. I mean, the guy from Robin Hood, Prince Tarts, and uh, Prince Thieves. Prince of oh, no, Tarts. Men in Tarts. Men in Tarts. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, or uh, or the, the Doctor from Saw. <laughs> there you go. Or a movie. That actually just remind me, another movie that I watched um, this week. Sorry, yeah, I was just looking. Just Right, let's just finish this off and then remind me of um, Carrie Alls. Carrie Alls. Right, so, Carrie so Alls. I, I've spoken as much as I can about saying, charismatic, mate, and somehow he's got me. I, I can't dislike mm. him or his films. Spy 2 is also coming out with a minute. Yeah, I like Steve. And that was the whole point of all this. Although it is the same character all the time, it doesn't deviate much. It, you know exactly what you're going to get and you get it and he delivers that. And he's, his career has survived so many others where they failed because they've tried to make out in these, in these B-movie roles that somehow bring in A-movie box office results. Yeah. It's fucking anomaly. Now, safe and long live, may you continue. Um, I watched a movie actually that uh, is probably not in the season now because it's a Christmas movie, but the last train... For Christmas? Did you see that? No. It came out on Sky That's Cinema. the one where uh, the British actor, whose name I've got, not... Michael Sheen. Ten, Michael Sheen. It, it, it's like a time loop, isn't it? On a train. Yeah, so he it's set in 85, and then when he goes forward a carriage, he goes forward 10 years. Ah, right, yeah. And then when he goes back a carriage, he goes back 10 years. So it kind of plays on the ghost should, of... Should have probably stayed in the same carriage. <laughs> well, no, because he needs to go get a drink. Oh, okay. And then, uh, you know, so he needs to go off a carriage to go to the buffet car. But... um. In 85, he's this like um, nightclub owner, very kind of Peter Stringfellow's kind of feel to him. 
Um, Eddie's brother is Carrie Ells. Ells, Ells in it. That bloke. Who for ages are like, who is that guy? And I was like, fuck, it's him. Like, you know, He's a killer from Lancaster Spider. Yeah. And, no, <laughs> killer from Kiss the Girls. Oh, I love it. Get your James Patterson, Morgan Freeman, Alex Cross films. Correct, Kiss James. Because he's the one that's like, he's well, always maintaining this. When he comes on one, he's the most famous actor than Morgan Freeman's on it. And also he's playing an accent. That's not his voice. Because he's British. Go. Yeah. And he's, but, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I was watching this movie and it actually it was pretty good. And now I want to say watch it now because it's Christmassy, but next year, it's actually pretty good for a like lockdown-y because it's a very small cast. Um, it plays on the idea again of Ghosts of the Future Past and all that kind of classic Christmas tales, but it's, it's actually adds quite a bit to it. When he goes forward, he's not, uh, you know, he's obviously gone on a downhill. So his nightclubs have failed because he's now looks all like uh, home, almost homeless and kind mm. of um, living mm. on the edge kind of thing. And then, he learns something about himself in that carriage. So when he goes back to the carriage that he came in, in the 85, he then has an argument with someone so that when he goes forward again, it's now different. So he keeps changing. Oh, his... right. So then he thinks, well, if I go back. Yeah, I can change that. I can change that. And so he goes back to when he was like 10 years younger, then 10 years younger than that. And he goes right the way back to when he was a kid. And it was actually really well written because there are things in each carriage <clears throat> where you're like, oh shit, he said something about that in the carriage before. Yeah. And there it is. That's the scene that he was talking about. You just go back and go invest in Apple. <laughs> I'll see you later. It, it, I, I thought it. I thought it was actually quite a charming. I had no expectations going in and watching it. And uh, Machine does look ridiculous as this like eighties nightclub owner with mm. like a mullet, but also which, short hair. Which, which first, so did Peter <laughs> Yeah. But um, I was like surprisingly charmed by this movie. So next year, do check that one out. Um, God, just, this episode, first one of the year, episode yeah. one seven seven. It was Statham. So we talked Jam about, packed. yeah, we talked about uh, Don't Look Up. Yeah. We talked about Last Train to Home to we've, Christmas. We've, we've told some careers to book their ideas. Well, I've got some documentaries just to quickly talk about. Go. Icarus. Icarus is a documentary film that follows Brian Fogel's investigation into sport doping by taking an interest into how famous cyclist Lance Armstrong was able to produce clean results for several decades and never be caught. So do you know what, when I realised that, it's fascinating. He admitted it. He was never found out. He admitted it. Be I once... <laughs> Passed out in a university lecture on blood doping because you were doping. So much no, no, I was, I was, I, I just didn't feel too well on the day, and because I, I studied sports science, and we were talking about blood doping, it's, and it's, going into the detail that someone would transfuse the majority of their blood for a higher saturated oxygen content. It's mental, isn't it? He's fucking weird in well, my mind. Well, I think you're gonna like Icarus because Fogel takes that principal idea and applies it to himself to win an amateur cycling race. Mm. So he starts doping and then his idea is to try and get tested to see if he can produce a negative result whilst also performing better. During the doping, Fogel meets Gregory Rodovenko, the head of the Russian anti-doping laboratory and uncovers that the Russians had a state-sponsored Olympic doping program that Gregor oversaw and was able to use his position to hide and swap Russian urine samples during the 2014 the games and and then that's when the documentary takes a wild turn when like the so uh, the, call them Soviet him and then Soviet uh, Russians come looking for him and then there's a trial the documentary is a tour de force yes in a subject matter I didn't really care about but by halfway through this movie I had changed gears and was invested mate <laughs> nailed it Icarus fantastic film again something I wasn't into and then I'm going to take you on a little journey mate I watched um I watched Don't Look Up I love Adam McKay or Mackay I then watched um the Big Short, 
And then I watched Inside Job, a documentary film about the housing crisis in the late 2000s, which led to a global um, recession. Narrated by Matt Damon, the film is in five parts, each explaining a certain impact or reason for the crisis. We learn about the deregulation of the stock market, the change from rich to super rich, the untouchable, and the greed that ended up stealing from taxpayers to fund billions of bonuses to Wall Street bankers. The film is easy to understand, uses simple graphics to get a point across, and it is impossible not to be seduced by Matt Damon's velvet voice, which makes the dry world of banking seem intriguing. The interviews... The interviewers also don't shy away from the heavy questions and even explores the education of economics, uh, economics, economists in an idea I'd never considered before. It was a pleasure to see titans of the economic world preach one thing, then immediately get called on the lines and watch them instantly turn. It was actually really good. I really liked it. However, I always found that The Big Short does such a good job of explaining what happened and like CDOs and things like that, that generally between these two films, I was like, oh, I know, I know what happened in the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me a textbook and I'll write one. <laughs> and so it gave me a lot of false confidence, but he does a very good job of explaining quite complex procedures. It's very funny. And in the end, he's, he's talking to these people going, do you, um, the hypocrisy of these people on show is, is laughable. And the interviews do not shy away from it. And it, one of them, this guy says, you know, I don't do this. And the guy lists him of like his speaking engagement. It was like, well, most of your income comes from you talking about, this that you teach so you teach people this is the only way to do it but it's not and you say that you can give like free um unbiased education at like i believe harvard business school and then the guy in was like how dare you talk to me like this was like because you've been called mm. on your bullshit and then because why not it wasn't depressing enough turning point 9 11 and the war on terror i think i've seen that a more in-depth chronicle of September 11th attacks on the US, offering first-hand experiences and stories about real people who survived the events. The series also goes back to the attacks roots, detailing Afghanistan in 1979 and also questions events in more recent times. This documentary is a haunting reminder that actions have consequences, some far too dark to comprehend. Mm. It's a fucking terrible documentary. The worry is when you do something now, it's how will that play out in 30 years? That's the world we live in. But it was, it's a well-made documentary that takes... Uh, that takes a look at things, it treats the people with respect, tells stories that I never show up, but shows footage that you will find uh, devastating. Yeah. And yeah. Um, obviously doesn't shy away from telling the truth of those horrendous facts. But do you know what? Documentaries are my bag, baby. I love the documentary. Unless now. you're a denier. Mm. Which again goes back to that Adam McKay source material of people, <laughs> even though there's facts there, facts, evidence, 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 people so still is. get a conspiracy in there. Can't. Yeah. Um, Going to pick it up because we've got uh, running out of time because we are going to try and obviously keep these episodes under the two hour mark and we're at an hour 30 and we've got two more movies to talk about. If you're still with us. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about a fantastic movie called Another Round that stars Mad Mickelson. In fact, Mad Mickelson won the Oscar, you know, the BAFTA for this. And he got nominated for an Oscar. And the uh, the film did win uh, at the Oscars for Best International Feature Film. This is a uh, movie from Denmark. Uh, directed by Thomas Winterberg, who worked with Mads Mikkelsen on a movie called The Hunt. If you haven't seen it again, you might want to check that out, which is an awesome film. Um, Mads Mikkelsen in this, along with three friends, are high school teachers um, in a Danish school where they undergo a self-study on the theory that that adults are born... With a zero point five alcohol content in their blood, no, they should operate with uh, oh, all, at all times. Yeah, so I thought, I thought when, I was, when I was watching, I was like, "Do babies get born drunk then?" Because that sounds <laughs> no. frigging awesome. No, they, um, our humans operate at a, a more optimal level with a zero point five or zero point zero five percent alcohol blood blood alcohol level. Hmm. So, you know, a couple of glasses of wine. So we're not talking about being absolutely that, uh, that, shit-faced. That perfect level that everyone enjoys. Yeah, the buzz. The, just before you decide to piss your life away by drinking more. Yeah, it's <laughs> where that, the, normally when 
you know, kind of educate people to say, stop, you've had too much or whatever. But it's that two glasses of no, wine. No or, one knows who they are. <laughs> drink more. It's, um, you know, th that's when people loosen up. That's when people relax more. That's when people become more fun or more engaged. Um, that's the theory. And in this movie, Mads Mikkelsen, along with um, his teaching colleagues, Mads Mikkelsen, this character in this instance, sorry, called Martin, um, undergo this because his life is at a standstill. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's what I love about it is the film is, the film uses um, alcohol and their experiment of these four friends is really a look at midlife crisis. That's what it is. And it does such a great job. Uh, why? Some of the, oh, sorry, mate. I'm just interested. No, I was going to say, he's, he's, the wind is out of the sails. His relationship has gone stale. He's lost his passion for teaching. He's been pulled in. I love that scene. You know, when they, like, he gets called on a ship, like, there's like, you're, you're really boring. It's like, yeah. he's not a bad teacher. He's just, you're really boring. And then like, when he sees like, when he gets passionate again, I, that's the sort of teacher that everyone wants. And a I don't, drunk one. <laughs> and, I, yeah, and I don't know about, um, you know, Danish or school, uh, you know, education system, but it, you know, it certainly implies in this that the grades mean everything to get into university. So the, the parents are kind of concerned that his kind of approach to teaching history is going to mean that certain students are not going to pass the grades. They're not going to get into uni. They're going to get, get kept behind. Um, and it, so then he, one of the other um, colleagues of his, uh, Nikolai, who's a psychology teacher, tells him about this study um, or this belief, this theory that if you have a couple of uh, units of alcohol each day, you work at a more optimal level. And that's where the film takes us. So it is a drama set in Denmark. It, I thought it was excellently um, acted. Mads Mikkelsen in the lead role um, has a very short window at the beginning of this movie to kind of, you know, show you who this character is, this Martin character is, as being not depressed, but just you know, just kind of numb with life, but not yeah. living. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, every day is the same kind of doesn't really speak much to his wife. Um, you kind know, like, he's just on autopilot. Yeah. That's, that's a great way of putting it. Just on autopilot. It's like, you know, his wife's still there. They, they barely communicate. They talk but about nothing. Just yeah. like I'm going out. There's a frozen pizza there. And he's like, I'm, I'm going out. Did I not tell you? So they don't communicate. It's really cool. Like the kids are just like, bye. You know, there's a frozen pizza for you. Mm. You know, he's going to have a drink. He hasn't told anyone. Here's a very, very short window of time in the beginning of this movie to kind of tell you everything you need to know about him to make the motives for the majority of the movie make sense. And it is it, it captures you in a dinner table scene that's just so well filmed with his three friends who are all who are these other teachers. You know, they, they've got the, they've got this um this passion, this comedy, this uh enthusiasm that Maz Mickelson's Martin doesn't share. And you see the metamorphosis of that character all of a sudden start to realize actually, you know, he has a drink and then he has another and actually, you know, he kind of gets that libido back for life. And mm. it's a, I was just, just hooked with this idea. And then it plays out almost comedically and charming and like any movie, there's going to be peril and consequence and the going into the third act, you've got to have something that your lead character has got to overcome. But I was just utterly engrossed in this film. I, it, a bit long, 10 minutes maybe over what it probably could have been. But I've found this film utterly engaging. And do you know what? It's one of the most convincing performances of drunk people where I'm almost convinced they were absolutely they, shit faced. So I was doing it. They, so they got together every night to have a few drinks to try and be the optimum level. But they also watched videos of drunk people on YouTube. They, there's a scene where they're all crawling out of this bar. Cause so, so um, it's no spoiler, but, the, the how it goes is after they get used to a certain percentage, they take the experiment further by trying a little bit more alcohol and a little bit more alcohol. And then it's the, the experiment and the film is told over acts where it just keeps progressing to the point where it comes out of a hand. 
And one of the binges that they go on where they start drinking absinthe to get to, you know, that real top level of trying to function as drunk as possible. It's so watching them like fall out of this bar and crawl home <laughs> and get into bed without waking the wife up. I was like, oh my God, I've, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there on too many occasions or no people around me. And I was like, fuck it. They really do capture, um, you know, that. And also, like you said, that midlife crisis, yeah. rekindling with friendships and becoming young again. There's a there's a brilliant scene where, because one, one of them's a PE teacher, where the little kids are playing football and they're all chanting at the side of the pitch, shit-faced. On a, you know, and it's just, I don't I really know, I, just, I was just grinning. And it ends... Just superbly, I thought the final scene of this film, and I won't say what it is, but it's just almost abstract. Yeah. yeah, what happens at the end of this movie? I I just found what a perfect end. I really, really, really love this film. I really love this film. I think this film was fantastic. I, I I'm upset that I didn't hear about it before. I knew about. I, I, I knew I, I, film I knew, festival goers. It talks about this film, and obviously at the Oscars, it kind of raised a lot. But of, that film didn't. The reason I saw it was because it's out on Sky or on Now TV. It didn't come out of cinema. It didn't. I didn't see any of this stuff, and it's a real shame. And what's really good is I know what I'm going to get with Mads Mikkelsen. I knew he was fantastic. The character of Tommy, the PE teacher who's got a dog. He, I don't know the actor's name, but he was he was the best thing in this film. And I just think Thomas Bolas. He was so fucking good. Like the character of Tommy got me, man. He got me in the feels, got me in the heart. He portrayed mm. brilliance. And you know, he's got a relationship with his dog. And I was trying to work out, is the dog pregnant or just obesely fat? <laughs> um, but do you know what? I, I thought he was fun. I, I've never really come out of there in a film with Matt Mickelson and was talking about another actor before. Mm. What a great film that was. Watched it on New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. When you text me, you're watching it. I was like, oh, fuck, I've just watched it. Like, that's so good. <laughs> Such good timing. That Because I also love that is, is Denmark name is Drunk. Drunk, yeah. <laughs> yeah so was... the, the final scene of this movie will be I regardless of whether I go away saying this is one of my favourite movies and I do I do think it's one of them films I will recommend to people you know when people say oh what film would you watch I'll be like give this a go mm. it's subtitles oh, it does. Yeah, which it may does. put some people off but give it a go because it's, it's weird how many Danish I'm oh, sorry I will argue that the final scene is one of my favourite endings to a movie ever of what I realised about it is, is the Danish language has got quite a few English words in it because it kept getting my attention. It's like, okay, you're going to be like, sure, oh, it's English. Yeah. And then speaking language I do not speak. A really good film. I would I would nominate it for The Vault. Yeah, I would, yeah. Man, I'd put it in The Vault. The First Vault 2, 2022. Yeah, it's so good. So good. And like I say, if you like this, do do go back and watch um, The Hunt as well. Oh, so I guess there's, if you're going to go up, mate. There's one big film to end with <clears throat> and we strategically put this at the end. I know most podcasts releasing episodes this week. We'll um, talk about this film at the top of the show. It'll be the draw. It'll be the reason why people download it. And that is because we're going to talk about The Matrix. The reason we put it at the end is because you can't really say anything without it being a spoiler. And we're not going to try and spoil it. No, so my synopsis doesn't mention any spoilers, but I guess that's where the conversation is going to take us. Yeah, or and not deliberately. I don't want to give it away too much. Oh, we're not going to spoil it for spoilers' sake. It is a movie where I think the trailer's done very well to kind of highlight certain things, ask a load of questions that you have to go watch to get the answers. And even if we summarise what the film's about, that's going to give away key plot um, devices because at the end of the day, the third movie ended with the characters dying. Yes, it so doesn't get how more are they definitive back? than that. So uh, if you haven't seen The Matrix, uh, the new one, uh, Resurrection? Resurrections, yeah. Probably end the show now. We'll see you next week. Like, Happy subscribe, you'll get a new show. New Happy new, new year. year. Thanks for downloading. If you have seen it, or if you don't care, stick around. We're not going to deliberately spoil it, but I, I imagine something's going to sneak out and I'm apologizing for that. Oh no, it's quickly. Who announced that you could just spoil Spider-Man? Because there's nothing but spoilers now on the internet. I was like, well, I missed the memo. Anyway. Mm.
Matrix Resurrections, directed by Lana Wachowski, and also she wrote it. It's a personal story starring Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Yahan uh, Abdul-Mateen II, Jessica Henwick, Jonathan Groff, and Neil Patrick Harris. I remember when he was announced, Neil Patrick Harris was announced yeah, this. We, we, we announced like, this really? on the show. Was like, what? what? <laughs> I'd like to point out that I only know uh, Jonathan Groff because he's in Hamilton. He plays the king. And I was literally spending the film going, I, where do I know him from? It's 60 years since the last Matrix film. Neo is once again a member of the Matrix. He is now a highly successful video game developer who created The Matrix, a trilogy of video games based on his faint memories of the last three films. He often visits a local coffee shop where he encounters Trinity, who is now called Tiffany, who is also a member of The Matrix and now has a husband and two young boys. Neo spends time with his therapist as Neo sometimes can't tell the difference between reality and his creative fantasies, which are in fact repressed memories. This all comes to a head when Warner Brothers breaks the fourth wall and demands a Matrix 4, which puts Neo back on the path of making the video games and continually question reality. Eventually, Neo wakes up and discovers the real world, which is still a shithole, and learns that soon machi- and, and learns that some machines can be trusted, and there is another city which celebrates man and machine working together. So first point, the Matrix... Probably shouldn't have made him create Matrix 4, because that's kind of what leads you down this path, you fucking idiot AI. It, yeah, the, the problem, right, so right off the bat with this Matrix 4. It's a problem. Is, it's a problem immediately because you, you've ended it with killing the two main characters, which are the main focal point of your next film. And also, because they're the only two that come past, except for Jada Pinkett-Smith, but when she actually shows up, you realise what waste of time it was. Is your story so focused on this, you better make it fucking good. Yeah. And you, I'm sorry, but you don't. It, it's, it's such a meta film. Yeah. So, because it's self-reflected of the Matrix. <sighs> yeah. And- it's also a reboot in itself. Yep. And the concept of what the Matrix has done since we've seen them last in terms of a purge is also what this movie is trying to do. Yep. So it's very meta. And I and I, I did find myself in the movie when I was watching it and seeing the narrative unfold, kind of thinking, okay, you've written yourself into quite a good storyline, at least. But... The execution doesn't really pay off too well for me on this movie. I, I'll be honest, I know that you said that. I remember someone, I remember a review, an unspoiler review, to be fair to me, it might have been Mark, Mark you know, on the, mm-hmm. they said it, it does away with like, the second and third film, just like shoving all this like religious, uh, like Eastern philosophy, all of this is gone. I completely disagree. This film is bordering on more pretension than the last two films is it requires you to take massive leaps which aren't explained that well i thought the writing was poor to the point of paralyzing the story stone dead the film relies on you liking keanu reeves it, oh, it, yeah, yeah. it needs its audience you like keanu reeves come see this film because there's nothing in the writing to get it to me um i one of my new other new year's resolutions this year genuinely was to find a positive and i will say um that uh, Yaha Abdul Mateen II was actually very good as Morpheus. I, I I actually thought he's done something different. But at the same time, I get confused how he exists. And Agent Smith is in this film, but he's not Agent Smith. But he's still Agent Smith from before. It's really weird. I, I, I without going into too many spoilers, I don't that's never explained to me. I, I, uh, yeah, the, 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 the Smith one the Smith one's harder. Yaha Abdul Mateen is I I, I, again, I thought when they wrote the, how it was Morpheus, but it wasn't. I, I actually found that. myself going, oh, okay, that makes sense. That does make sense to me. That's why we don't have Lawrence Fishburne. That's why we've got yeah. a different actor who looks different because because also it's repressed memory. So maybe it's not 
the world's kind of different to what he thought because it's the game. By one time, it implies that the Matrix only exists in the game, that the films that we saw were the game, because it's being meta. And the whole problem starts with Warner Brothers going, we want a full film. You can be in it or not. In hindsight, don't be in it because it was shit. <laughs> the, yeah, the, film, the film thinks it's clever, but it's really not. It's just really bad writing. Don't get me wrong. It's it's leaps and bounds from two and three. Oh no! Do we? Oh, we disagree. I thought it was. I thought it was worse. I, I really didn't. I like found it. myself though. Every, every I was so on the fence with a lot of this. At times, it looked stunning. At times, it looked really bad. It looked really bad. It, it, weirdly, do you remember that really bad CGI in the second film where he's fighting millions of Smiths? Mm. They had that in this. The mm. really bad CGI. I was like, was we still two thousand? What four? Well, yeah, there were times when I thought it looked great. There were times I thought it looked bad. There were times when I thought it was engaging, and there were times when I was bored. There were times when I thought. Actors were doing really good, but they were across and sharing the screen with someone who wasn't. And it was for me, I was never fully engaged with it. I, I do, I do remember watching this movie, thinking because I went to see it today, thinking oh, I probably didn't need to come see this movie as quick. Like yeah. I probably, did, I probably could have waited. Actually, about half through the movie, I very much was like, I've wasted a day. I'm here, yeah. middle of the day, watching this film, and I'm not 100 percent in it. If you love the Matrix and you love the whole theory and you know all of that kind of we're living in a you know engineered world you know to keep us numb you know and all that kind of, if you then this movie plays on that theme and continues that theme but again for everything that it added that was new it relied on nostalgia to get you there and that's a big thing considering spider-man has just broken a billion and that relied heavily on nostalgia to get you there yeah, exactly. but in this <laughs> it doesn't work too well um, I think it's because as well. So what I will say is it opens up brilliantly. The first scene is a retelling of the first Matrix first scene with slightly different things going wrong. But it explains to you, it's like, why is this character here? Why is this character doing that? And it does a good job of bringing you in going, this is different. This is different. You know, this character, when he tells you your name, you go, well, you weren't here in the first scene. That's very good. But then it falls off a cliff. And actually what's what hurts it, I think, is the Neo and Trinity character. I think that all the newcomers, I thought Jeffrey Goff did a very good job. And I think uh, Jessica Henwick, as like the captain of her ship, I thought she was really good. I was well, like, again, she's I, the best thing I, in I, I want to follow. I want to follow that story. But I don't. I get bogged down in this, like, this love story that spans horseshit. Because I'll be honest, mate, the ending, when that happens, I was fucking done with this film. I, I think I was like... I'm only in this cinema still because I've got to review it. I've really hated the film. By the oh, end of it. I, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was so, I, it's unnecessary. It's a huge, you know, like, yeah, and I, I am a Keanu Reeves defender most of the time, but surely, I mean, Bill and Ted it, it was lucky. Mm. You just get away with that because that was quite enjoyable and it had no right to be. And this, Carrie Ann Moss, I thought was good in this. And she has one of the moments that I thought was as good as any, um, you know, superhero movie, you know, when you get Danny Jr. saying, I am Iron Man. There's a bit in this where she says, you, you know, where she's like, I'm Trinity. And, yeah. and I thought, fucking A. Like, I got like, 20 years has passed, but that character is still as strong as she was back then. The first thing she does is she does like kick that we've seen in every single film. We're bored of it now. <laughs> yeah, but my point being that Carrie Ann Moss, I think, is st still delivers in this film. And I still like the Trinity character. I still like the Neo character. I still like those bits. The... the and it, Do you the find is, the bits in the real world? I thought they were some of the worst bits. Hold on, the real world, as in... The when they're not in the Matrix. Yeah, that bit I didn't really get. It's I like, don't... It's, it he's, seems he's, crap. He's like, so hold on, everything I did, the sacrifices we made was for nothing. And then Jada Pinkett Smith's like, no, 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 we, we do live in harmony now. Yeah, kind of. We do, but then she implies that Zion isn't. So where, she implies that Zion's like gone to shit because there's something happening there. It's like, well, I want to go back there. Because there's a, a civil city. war between the machines, but then one of the machines has taken off 
and is actually and uh, we're, we're on spoiler territory, but there's yeah. there's a rogue machine that is maybe behind everything that's happening. Um, yeah, there, there, there was a lot to it that I that, that I thought, oh, just I thought it was a mess. I thought there's so much going on at the same time, nothing going on. I I I thought it was actually a testament to bad writing. I thought this is very good. You've written yourself. I, I weirdly, the film starts. You're already behind because mm. your two main characters are dead. You did such a good job of making me interested in why they're alive again, but then have written yourself into a corner and you don't get out. You just kind of like circle yourself in your own corner. I, I does the story goes nowhere until like the final act when it goes too far and you're like Jesus, this, slow this down is the for longest, a minute. This is the longest I've been in a movie where I've not got it until mm. like because normally you get past the first act and it has to give you a little bit mm. for you to go, oh, right, okay. This is okay. why I should stick around for the second act. But this one, it really was like getting halfway through the movie before they kind of gave me anything that made me go, oh, that's why they're still alive and that's why that happened. And the explanation kind of comes way later in the movie because the first 20 minutes or so, you know, when you're following um, Keanu Reeves' Neo as a game designer who's made these Matrix games, which again is really weird because it's not really a game because they keep showing you footage, which is the movies. And... Yeah, it leaves you loads where you're like, give me something to, give me some explanation. Like, and I, I think that scene where they're designing the full game is the one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in cinema. Especially when it's, do you know there's an after scene credit? No, I didn't stay around for yeah, that. There's an after scene credit, and they make a joke about an internet meme that's about, and I think I'm not being hyperbolic here about a thousand years old. <laughs> mm. it's, it's, I hated it, mate. I would, I would pit this film. I, I thought it was worse. Oh, I don't think it's not that bad. Oh, it's I not think, an Adam Sandler movie. I think it is. I think it's up there with. I think it's far worse the, than two the and three. First 20, 25 minutes though, where you know, you we know as an audience that Keanu Reeves Neo is the one, and he's gone on this epic journey, and he's had his mind erased, or has he? And he's living in the Matrix, and we're all thinking, how how's he ended up back in there? We're all asking these questions. There's a lot going on in the first part where it's like Neil Patrick Harris has bright blue glasses on. Mm. You know, uh, oh, here comes Morpheus in a red suit. Here comes Bugs with blue hair. And you're like, they've done away with like the green uh, that's, wash that's, that's, that was in the first movie sad. when you knew when you was in the Matrix. To now all of a sudden, and then misguiding you with like, oh, look at that subtly positioned red cloth in the background or curtains. What, what really pissed me off, what really pissed me off is you are outside the Matrix, you're living in a real world. And you're trying to find, you know, some idea about someone is in there. There's a video game correct character that, there's a video game developer that's created a trilogy of games called The Matrix. Why don't you think to investigate that? I think that's so fucking stupid. It's so stupid. This is one of the things I was like, you're an idiot by your own standards of writing. Uh, I believe that um, Lana Wachowski made this after the death of her parents and she wanted to tell like uh, a love story, you know, a love story that was personal to her. And I think that's what it is. I think this is a story just for, for her, maybe a sister. What upsets me is that it takes what they think are the best parts of two and three and creates a film around them. When, when the first Matrix didn't have any of this, the reason why we love the first Matrix was because it was actually, in reality, a very simple film. The world we live in is not real because it's a computer program. You've got superpowers. You beat machines. Why the fuck are we talking about resurrections? Oh my God, with the sum of an equation. I don't give a shit. And I, the fact that there's a fourth film worries me that there's going to be a fifth film. And it's going to be one of those series that it just turns out shit after shit. It's going to be a hell You don't it. have to go watch these films, James. Yeah, but you do because you've been, because you want to, I want to like a Matrix film. This isn't me hating on something. I want to like a Matrix film. I wanted the second and the third one to be because mm. I like the first one. The reason I'm hard on these films, mate, is because I actually love them. You're an entitled white man. That's what you're shouting at. <laughs> yeah, That's what you're sounding like right now, James. But I'm just, it just, it's just, 
it's, do you know what it sums down to this one sentence and I don't want to be this guy because it takes away from the two things I'm trying to be different to it's a shit film <laughs> so it's literally, oh it's not a good film you, yeah, can't, I, I, you, can't, <laughs> you can't dress up a turd <laughs> it's a shit film yeah yeah I agree with that it's not it's not a good movie I, I'm I'm in the camp that the, the first film was enough As if that was yeah. a standalone film could have gone down as one of the greatest yes. sci-fi movies of all time <laughs> it probably was I mean it was groundbreaking when it came out um yeah, I don't know if this was sport. It'd have to do very well at the box office I and find a hell of a lot of new fans because it relies so heavily on callbacks yeah. and nostalgia to the point where one scene is playing out while the original scene is playing out in the background. And I was like, how are they doing that? Well, what I absolutely adore about this is, is weird, not enough time has actually come for you to appreciate this. You've got to wait like Ghostbusters did before you make another Ghostbusters film because we all remember your shit films. So we remember mm. two and three. You need to. You need time to pass so that we forget about them. Remember the first one. It is. Yeah, it was dogs dinner. I hated it. it. Yeah, it is. But it, I mean, the meta angle of it, it. Some people will love that. Some people go into this and love that meta angle. It's, that it's too meta. They're, they're, they're in in the Matrix, they've rebooted, and this is a reboot. And it's yeah. But the scene where you literally like Warner Brothers wants another four movie. I was genuinely. I wanted to just like throw Christina Ricci. And you're like, she's back. Oh, she's gone again. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Sorry to end it like that, but no. Um, yeah. Some goes, you know what? I would, I know you're against it, so it's not going in the vault, uh, the pit, but that's why I hated it that much. I would pay it. But on the bright side, did get to watch uh, another round, which was one of my favorite films. I love that film. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The Shining Grace out of all of this week has been another round. Yeah. And uh, I really like Don't Look Up. I would potentially put it in the vault, but I don't think you probably think it's that good. Which one? Uh, don't Look Up. Yeah, it's not a vault movie for yeah. me, but it was good. I did enjoy it. Jason Statham and his ability to not give a toss. Consistent, mate. Consistent. One of the most we consistent should, actors in Hollywood. We I should think. applaud it. Yeah. I love the fact that when Adam Sandler does it, I rip him apart. But when Jason Statham does it, I'm fine with it. Yeah, but he's consistently <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's true. I'm not saying Statham's good, but at least he's exactly what he, you know, he's, he's Ron Seal, mate. He's Ron Seal. He's exactly what you get on the tin. That's what I'll show this week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for downloading. Next week, probably a bit more positive. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Start of the new year as we wish to go on. <laughs> Uh, next next week to celebrate the turn of the uh, new year we're going to talk about a previous year <laughs> and that is our special <laughs> such a sorry romantic thing <laughs> we're going to talk about 1999 the year of uh, the, the, what, the films that well, came out in that year we'll be discussing if it is in fact the best year for film which is what it's been called and labelled turn of the just before the millennium mate what 99 produce mm. find out next week that's what we're going to talk about thank you for downloading if you like the show leave us a review like subscribe we get a new episode each and every week always for free um, that's our show see you later good afternoon good evening good night goodbye <laughs>